This boy and girl are going to be well equipped when the time comes to take their places as worthy members of adult society. Hello, hi y'all. This is Daniel Eisenman, the host of the Breaking Normal podcast, where my guests are all invited based on the frequency of synchronicity, all done in person, and all trailblazers and the breaking of all things normal. Aloha, alok, alok, and aloha. Alok is the guest on this show that you're about to listen to, which is so breaking normal for so many reasons. He was sitting right there where Ruff Ruff is sleeping. And um, it was the longest breaking normal podcast. I broke the one hour and 11 barrier, that's for sure. Um, and it's funny, we talk about predetermination versus free will. Maybe it was predetermined to be the perfect weather for blue ice and mindfulness. <laughs> These are some of the topics we talked about. Uh, epic. So, oh, epic experiences, elevating Everest. He climbed all seven summits. I mean, this guy's amazing. He's an amazing guy. You'll see, you'll see why we broke the barrier of the time limit. We even talked about like shock, grief, and love. We talked about testicles, perium. We talked about a lot, a lot with a loke. So welcome to this longest episode. And if you like the longer episodes, let us know. Please leave a review on the iTunes or the spot. iTunes, basically. It's probably the best algorithm to feed at this point. If you get involved with that, I'd appreciate it at this point. Although I do have a little like, oh, I'm not sure if I should be promoting Apple type of thing come up in me. But what I am very happy to promote is Tribe Vitamins. Not only do we turn a year old, but by the time this podcast is released, our website should be updated with our Christmas Courage, like ancestral accelerator blends available. Um, so instead of not only having the bison liver and the elk liver available, it looks like we're going to have bison heart and bison testicles available. Um, and I'd say get them quickly because last time we had them available, they sold out pretty fast and I don't even have them. I'm so excited to get them back. I mean, here's a label. Here's one of the labels, labels that didn't make a bottle because we ran out of supply. <laughs> but this stuff is like the heart, the heart of this land that we live in. I mean, this stuff is powerful. It's potent. Heart does have more CoQ10 than uh, liver does. But for people that are wondering or they don't know what I'm talking about, TribeVitamins.com. It's a company that was birthed through me and many others, but through me with the support of my midwives behind me and many others. Um, and we're over a year old. And what we're doing, you know, my dad's been a pharmacist for over 40 years. My mom, a nurse for over 40 years. I was pre-med, took the MCATs, decided not to go into the, uh, get entangled in the medical system. I think I saw one of my doctor friends here. Mojo, are you still on? Um, that actually breaks that normal and is a medical doctor, so good on you. Uh, but for myself, I did not go to medical school. I was out there. Um, however, I've been exposed to all kinds of health practices, and uh, these organ meats are the real deal. They are the real deal. They're in Tribe Vitamins, once again, the intention is to bring food that has been used as medicine before there were ever even pharmacies. And I think the bison liver is the ultimate original multivitamin and the elk liver. And how we do it is we basically cube it, chop it into small little pieces, um, which I've done some hands-on myself and what an amazing experience to uh, really 
dissect these organs from America's keystone species and biggest, man, biggest animal, biggest mammal, and national animal. And uh, we cube them, freeze dry them, which is the process NASA uses or the military uses to make these meals ready to go and last forever kind of thing. And um, then we mill them. But the freeze drying process is quite amazing. It kind of crystallizes the product and sucks all the water out. And if you, um, there, it, it, it's, it actually sublimes the liquid out of the material. It's an amazing thing. And if you're interested in that process, definitely listen to the episode with Luke Terry before this. Holy moly. Uh, we've been doing some prototype research and development actually with his freeze dryer at his house right down the road. And he is just a wealth of knowledge what a, and wisdom. What a great episode. Definitely check that one out with Luke Terry. So anywho, then we freeze dry it, mill it, and then that powder, that powder, the liver powder of the bison, 100% grass-fed, grass-finished, regenerative species, is probably the most potent powder for bioavailable iron, uh, vitamin A in its natural form, iron in its natural form, not manufactured in the lab, and then a unique combination of like so many B vitamins, uh, zinc, copper, which we could all use a lot of these days, especially. So I'm just really stoked and thankful for these. I've been using them for over a year. I think short term, people get a big energy libido boost. Long term, hair, skin, nails, vision, teeth. Woo! I'm not going to make so many claims here because I'm not even sure what the rules are around that. But I would love to hear what your claim is um, after experiencing the power of tribe vitamins and those blends and um, did I say everything's going to be available? We're going to have bison heart, bison testicles, and a bison organ complex blend available like when this episode comes out in a very limited micro batch. So this is the uh, what I am going to promote. Promote that. And I uh, promote you to go on there and uh, get some while it's available. The dino wieners are in my freezer. That's another thing I do. You know, I have bison heart, bison testicles, bite, and banana wieners in my freezer. And with my friend uh, <laughs> there, Vital Harmonics MD. Well, that's his, that's his um, handle there for people that were wondering about my medical doctor that actually has a, has a huge heart for uh, something way beyond the propaganda and politics that has become entangled in a lot of our medical systems, actually. Oh, oh, wow. Look, someone said, I gave some to my friend that has severe Crohn's disease. It's changing her life, Daniel. Wow. Yeah, I've heard so many crazy things. Let's just say if you have low iron or you know someone that's anemic, get them these pills immediately, specifically the bison liver, immediately. And if for someone that might want uh, to, is tempted to take testosterone in an unnatural form, go buy those bison testicles immediately. Um, yes, before you do that before you go down the medicalized um, testosterone supplementation, just see if you can get a, one of those bottles of the bison testicles coming when this is released. So like available on the website. So there's my, what I'm going to promote. Um, I also want to promote uh, heart sync over group think, meaning like that we can have different beliefs and we can still tribe up and like almost get excited about that possible evolution. And it's about time for me to go. So I would say get ready to enjoy this episode with a loke. He has climbed, I said this once, right? He climbed the highest peak in every continent amongst many other things. And it, we actually get into like quite the confession session towards the end. And as you all know, he's a psychotherapist.
Um, it was quite, it was, whew, whew. all right, all right, all right. And anyone else? Let me see if I have any questions with the last minute or two I have here. It looks like we're, we're, we've done it. it. looks like we addressed what's going on. Keep addressed what's going on right now. This is my, this is my advice to myself once again in front of y'all to like, be aware as possible about what's happening for me and around me and through me and to me and from me. Be really aware of that and be an investigative journalist to that and then share the notes out loud. And my, um, I, I just say, like, I love this episode and enjoy it. It's a real special experience to be able to do this and share this with y'all and have a loke share so much with an open heart and a flexible mind, things he's never shared before. Wow. Wow, it's edgy. And there's my, uh, there's my timer. <laughs> I got to go. I got to go on to the next chapter. All right, keep breaking normal, y'all. And uh, as my investigative journalism about my life, these tribe vitamins work. And when this heart and testicle and complex becomes available, I would take action on it. Merry, merry holy day every day. Peace in. And I almost forgot slash remembered. What's the difference? Think about those things. Mem or how do you remember something if you forgot? If you forgot. I mean, anyways. Anyways, anywho. Um, <laughs> Alok did do something pretty special that you'll hear about. He did the Purium cleanse. Follow Now he's going to follow it by like a tribe vitamins ancestral accelerator type of thing. And uh, I would um, recommend getting both if you're intrigued. And if you are intrigued about Perium, just go to Perium, ishopperium.com slash breaking normal. What I typically get is the apothecary, which I love because it's another single nutrient supplement that has the highest containing nutrients in, in some ways, including melatonin. Love taking that at night. I love their aminos. It's a, one of their aminos pills are like the closest thing to tribe vitamins in a way that's plant-based that I've had. Maybe Sheila G as well. Um, but more so the aminos, and the aminos actually. And I love their uh, power shake. That I, and I really love, like, can't, I can't beat this and the um, aloe digest. If y'all are looking for some uh, Christmas shopping or something or holy, holy day shopping, then man, what a good gift to give these medicinal foods because the world really it's it's good more of us that get on these pure super food tribe vitamin type of ingestion uh the better for the world and maybe i'll go into that deeper on another show much love y'all all right here we go aloha, aloha y'all i'm here with aloha mountain within that's how i have you saved in my phone mountain within yes that's your name that is my, uh, that's the name that uh, I hold a lot of significance around. It's a name that um, I actually just named my, uh, my business recently, Mountain Within. Mountain Within, I like mm -hmm. it. I mean, I like it. So let's talk about that. You've climbed the highest mountain in every continent. Is that my understanding? Yeah, yeah. I've, um, it's uh, called the Seven Summits. And so that would be the highest mountain on each of the seven continents. Wow. Yeah. Including Antarctica. Including Antarctica, yeah. Because I believe when I first met you, it was the Breaking Normal Mead Up, mm -hmm. where we were at my friend Warren G's Alchemy uh, Tonic Bar in North Boulder. Mm -hmm. 
Is this correct? That's right? correct. Okay. Yeah. And I was hanging out with a guy that believes that everything happens. Everything's predetermined. Everything's predetermined. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Everything's predetermined. Mm-hmm. And he was telling me how, in addition to telling me this, and a very convinced, like one of the, he, he's a psychotherapist, actually. He's a psychotherapist. Mm-hmm. As you are. Yes, I, as I am now. Okay. <laughs> uh, he was telling me, like, yeah, Antarctica is not as cold as you think it is. That's what he was telling us mm-hmm. in this conversation. And we were like, and he's been in the Air Force as well. And we're like, so I'm like, so you've been to Antarctica and it wasn't cold? And he's like, no, I haven't been to Antarctica. And you were there in the circle and you're like, I've been to Antarctica. Mm-hmm. And that just was like, yeah. I, mean, I don't know many people that have been to Antarctica. How many mm-hmm. nights do you think you've spent in Antarctica? Mm-hmm. Well, the actual expedition, so we were climbing Mount Vincent, which is uh, the Vincent Massif, and the time spent on that mountain is more around um, probably like a week. It's like a week to get up and down, to acclimatize, to get up and down. It's a 16,000 foot mountain. And But the biggest thing is actually getting from um, the southern tip of South America, where we flew out, which is a town called Punta Arenas, because you need to have perfect weather for that five-hour flight. So it's a five-hour flight, a journey from that southern tip into the interior of Antarctica. And you're on this like giant uh, uh, Russian um, military transport plane. They call it like an illusion. And it's like one of those an big... illusion? Illusion, yeah. It's the, it's the actual name is that a russian word um or is this an illusion about an illusion uh not not illusion illusion i know it's yeah, just yeah. amazingly sounds similar mm. an illusion over the ocean <laughs> yeah, flying yeah. to antarctica yeah yeah to climb the highest mountain yeah yeah so the so the thing is they need five hours in order to make the journey and then you land on this natural formed blue ice runway that they that they have it's like natural forming very flat blue ice and um this is a giant plane it's like a equivalent of like a c-130 like a u.s military transport plane and so you need five hours to make the journey to land to unload to reload and then another five hours back and so the biggest thing is around timing is actually having enough of a window a weather window for them to make that trip and so that kind of makes the whole expedition more around like a three-week um, kind of, it's like a three-week, uh, it's a three-week block of time uh, because you'll be hanging out in, in South America in that town waiting for that winter, weather window. It's kind of like you're hanging out at the hotel and then all of a sudden you kind of get, okay, it's time to go and you just, you know, you pack up Sounds and go. Sounds like a surf trip. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. then so you go there and, it takes, and you spend a week in Antarctica. Yeah, so we spent... Um, I prom- Landing on this blue ice runway. Yeah. Why is it blue ice? Is blue ice better to land on? Like, well, blue ice? this is a huge plane. And it's, uh, it's like you could fit like, like tanks in this plane. And so the inside of the plane is all like... Uh, you see all like the, um, like the guts of the plane. Like all the wires and all the, like the things, the mechanics, the hydraulics. You see all that. None of that's covered up. And they actually have like some some like airline seats that they have put in for the uh, people that are going that they're mainly climbers and um and so 
They're mainly climbers because they want to have this feat of like the seven, yes. what'd you call it? The seven summits. The seven summits. Yeah. So yeah. that's like a thing. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. How yeah. many people do you know that have done seven summits? Mm, I know quite a few actually. Yeah, I bet because <laughs> yeah. you've done that. Yeah. It's kind of was in that world for quite some time. So, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Uh, the, back to the predetermined thing when we met mm-hmm. my friend there. Do you believe everything's predetermined? Mm. I don't. Um, that's a good question. It's like it's uh, if we start to think about like synchronicities and and how things unfold and how we how we meet people. It's like it's. I've uh, been listening to a lot of Joe Dispenza and Dr. Wayne Dyer. So a lot of the thing around manifesting. I love Dr. Wayne Dyer. Such a sweet soul. Yeah. Dr. Wayne Dyer. Dr. Actually, is who married Raquel, who is actually the daughter of. The guy we're talking about. Hmm. How's that for a synchronicity? Well, oh, yeah, Chris Roney. Well, yeah, what? We'll just say his name. Hi, Chris. Yeah. <laughs> Let's get you on the podcast. <laughs> mm, yeah. So, anyways, like you know, like I guess what I've been receiving from you know listening to these people is just, um, <clears throat> yeah, like when you want to like welcome something in, it's it's uh, it's predetermined if. That you just uh, trust that uh, if you stay in the moment and allow things to come to you, that it would be predetermined. No. You you added that you don't know, so you, you don't have like a strong opinion on this. Um, I guess I'm I'm still in this kind of like infancy of this whole thing around manifestation. So there is that little voice that 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 that, that just in that moment just said, "I don't know." Okay, well, you're you're not in the infancy of a lot of things like climbing, mm-hmm. and you know, right off the bat, my here, my friend, our friend Jared is here at the Breaking Normal podcast. Sounds like he's willing to do some research and fact checking if if possible. But he was saying he might go climbing tomorrow, mm. and I was like, man, there's probably legendary climbing all around us. Mm-hmm. I mean, I wonder what kind of adventure you're going to get into. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, actually, Alok, that's one of the things I imagine we're going to talk about is climbing. And yeah, yeah we can. What, what, I mean, just real briefly, you know, I, I, I feel like I could talk about surfing. Like if someone asked me about surfing, mm-hmm. I'm like, that's, well, good question. What is it about climbing that catches people? Like it's almost in a similar stoke level as it catches surfers. Do you know, mm-hmm. do you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Have you hung around some surfers and yeah. climbers where you get the, they're both kind of caught up? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What do you, what do you, anything to say about that? Yeah, so yeah, I can speak from my own experience, and uh, for me, um, you know, when I got into like when I was first introduced to climbing, it was more technical rock climbing, and it's like one of those things that as a kid, you know, you would see pictures of a rock climber, and I came out to Colorado when I was uh, in high school to look at schools at that time. And uh, I was with my parents, and we went to some areas, and I saw these people up on the rocks, up on the faces. And, and that, uh, yeah, just actually seeing that was just like, that looks really cool. Yeah. And so for me. Similar to surfing in the sense that, like, going to a beach. Like, I went to a beach a lot of time in my, mm-hmm. in my life without ever going surfing. Yeah. But I saw like all of a sudden I see these people and like they're those guys are like standing up in waves. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. What? <laughs> I'm like I felt a little bit and it called. Yeah. But anyways, I I see a reflection yeah. there. But please please yeah. climb ahead. And so 
Yeah, for me, it really became like a mindfulness practice before I really knew what mindfulness was. Um, you know, just being in that moment uh, where you're just focused on how you're how you're breathing, really, and uh, and your strength, and bringing all that into and your balance, and bringing all that into a dance. And so that's how I got introduced and so for me i would say that maybe the the continuity of that is amongst other people that uh, seek like adventure-based activities it's because it does bring you into the moment you really cannot be in the moment if you're out surfing like a giant wave like jaws you know off the coast of maui you know you can't like not be in the moment you have to be very much there and there's like there's a practice to it before you could go and do something like, uh, I think about Alex Honnold, who uh, free soloed up uh, El Capitan. He's in that, mo- that movie Free Solo. I don't know if you've seen it. But, oh, I'm uh, familiar. I remember a future of the, pre- the, I remember the predetermined future of having him on the Breaking the Wall podcast. Well, yeah. Because, but go, what, did, yeah. What, what did he do in your mind? Like, what, tell me more. Oh, like, I had heard, you know, I had heard about Alex for quite some time, just, and before when he was just like pretty much just kind of breaking into the scene, like he'd been climbing for a long time. But then I started to, you know, read about him in the, like the climbing magazines. And, and it's like your initial thought at that time is like, oh, he just free soloed up. Like, I think it was like Moonlight Buttress or something in Zion. And you're thinking, oh, this person like had like a, like a you know, death wish. That's like, what was my initial thought at that time. And, but then you just start to hear more about him. And then I actually heard that he had actually done this, this feat, something that it's a big, was a big goal of his. And I heard he had completed it. I was like, wow, that's mind blowing. And then I watched the movie and I was sitting in the movie theater and I was watching him and just like, just nervous for him, even though I already knew like he had completed this thing watching him actually make those moves out of with so much exposure i guy was like literally very uncomfortable i was very activated like squirming in my seat um how did just so in case people don't have any idea what we're talking about Mm -hmm. what's the best movie to watch about this oh yeah it's uh called free free f-r-e-e solo s o Oh, oh. <laughs> free solo, yeah. So Which, and if someone has no idea about rock climbing, mm-hmm. free solo means you are climbing without any ropes. Mm-hmm. Without, you're just free climbing. Yeah. Just like a, yeah. a squirrel climbs up a tree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No pads on the bottom? Or sometimes they do. Well, that would be more like a bouldering, bouldering, yeah, bouldering yeah. when you put yeah. pads on the bottom. No. Anyways. Is yeah, that, when you're 100 feet, if you're free soloing up something like, 50, 100 feet. It doesn't matter how many pads you have. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Well, speaking of that, what's the most dangerous situation you've ever gotten into climbing? Mm-hmm. Like a, a, you mentioned Jaws in Maui. Mm-hmm. I haven't surfed Jaws in Maui. Yeah. And I don't think I have a death wish. I don't mm-hmm. think I do. Um, I mean, well, maybe a death wish, meaning like, do I wish to die in the best way possible? Mm-hmm. I'll have to reconsider that. Maybe yeah. I'll figure that out by the end of this conversation. Um, 
But I did get myself into trouble mm-hmm. very near Jaws at a place called Ho'okipa at a swell where other Hawaiians weren't surfing, mm. which I actually learned a big lesson. And I will probably never, ever go surfing at a spot in Hawaii if there's no other Hawaiians surfing at that moment. Mm. And so that was a lesson for me in surfing. Mm. But and that, I got in a really hairy situation. Why uh, is that? Is that because of sharks? Or? Oh, well, that you just don't mm-hmm. know. These locals have so much knowledge. What at that point, what I didn't know was the swell direction was so big, and from a certain direction, that it was highly dangerous. That the, the, the waves weren't breaking correct, and you could get washed into this reef. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know that. And sure enough, I paddled out with Timothy, just Timothy and I alone. Mm-hmm. Thinking, Timothy, he was the. I mean, he catalyzed it. I was like, "You want to go out?" I even like I double thought it. But the thing was, I went out with Timothy because Timothy is kind of that in my life. He's pushed a lot of edges for me um, physically with, in nature, physically mm-hmm. in nature. He's mm-hmm. helped me push a lot of edges and come to a deeper appreciation for nature. So I went with him. But sure enough, like a literally a wave way bigger than the roof of this. So it was like probably like 15 foot face came out of nowhere. Got way, we were just way, I just got full brunt of the whitewash. Board comes up broken in half. Wow. Where it's like actually a dangerous thing to hold on to. And I'm actually getting pushed towards the reef. Like a, an exposed reef. Like mm-hmm. a not, a, yeah, a dangerous reef. Yeah. And um, I remember screaming at Timothy. I'm like, uh, I th- I'm, I'm going to let this board go if, if I can, if you can get me. Mm-hmm. And Timothy, I, I was a very odd situation because I'm like, Timothy's in danger, actually, too. Because there was more sets coming. Yeah, I was getting ready to hold my breath again. There was more waves coming. And he had his board, though. And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, sure, I, I knew for certain that he was going to help me. And because he didn't have to. Like, someone could have panicked and uh, just try to take care of themselves. But I took my leash off and I we there was a huge ass wave coming and I like just we I hugged him as hard as I Whoa. could and we got to shore and all the lifeguards were like you, you, you know speaking crazy Hawaiian ass language to us like that was a west swell on the big bully you don't go out there like, like we were about to bring the the uh the, the, the jet skis like <laughs> what the and and I was just like huffing and puffing and like borderline crying wow yeah and then I these people were telling me about secondary drowning because what happened the waves were so big and the foam got so thick yeah so i couldn't um even though my head i know how to keep my head above water mm-hmm. there was too much foam to breathe fresh air wow and you know, that's the one that comes to mind for surfing for me but i'd be curious in mm-hmm. climbing for you is there a situation like what's the most like situation where you're like what, am, what yeah 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 so for me you know i consider myself a climber i started climbing in my early 20s and um yeah like i got to a point where I saw myself having like a choice, like whether to keep on climbing for myself, um, like full on, or to actually go into the route of guiding, which is what I ended up doing, which I ended up doing for about 20, 20 plus years uh, being an international mountain guide. And people up Mount Everest. Yeah. Yeah. Everest. uh, I've been there. And so, it was more of like, and I, and you have to break it down too, because climbing has a lot of different uh, focuses and you have rock climbing, you have ice climbing, you have mountaineering and mountaineering is broken down as uh, um, like climbing, like big, like one end of the spectrum is like big high altitude peaks. And that's the route I went to like the extreme 
elevation, like being above 20,000 feet is, would probably consider, you know, extreme. And so, yeah, Everest was on that list and, and it was like, it was a progression. And so when you had your question around like having an experience where you were literally like in a very dangerous situation, that didn't really happen as much when I was guiding. Because if I was having those experiences, I wouldn't be a good guide. Okay. You know, because it's the main focus is keeping uh, not only your, you know, keeping yourself safe, but keeping your clients safe. That's like the priority. And there's a lot, you know, around that. But then I have done a fair amount of climbing on my own with friends, like other climbers. And probably the most scariest situation were with these two dear friends of mine who are no longer um, on the planet in the physical form. And uh, I met them when I moved to Seattle, like shortly after I had moved to Seattle in like the early 2000s. And I had met them up on uh, Mount McKinley. I'd met the, they were a couple. So I met the guy up on, and his name um, is, uh, was Chad Kellogg. And uh, Chad was uh, um, doing some guiding and, and on Denali as well. So we were both like, uh, had our groups and we were both leading our teams. So we got to like, you know, see each other and hang out. And, and he had invited me after we were off the mountain to come meet him and his wife, Lara Kellogg, beatniks, uh, for breakfast. And I did and found out that they were actually living in the place in Seattle where I just uh, had just purchased um, a condominium and it was like three blocks away. And they became like my entry into like the Seattle climbing community. And so that's the backstory. And so the actual experience was climbing with both Lara and Chad up in the uh, a, a mountain range in Canada, which is in the... Um, in British Columbia, part of Canada, uh, called the Bugaboos. Uh, and they're like, the Bugaboos is like these giant spires of granite rock that uh, come out of the glacier. And we had hiked up there to be there for, I don't know, like a week. And you know, we had set up our tents. There was actually a, a climbing hut there you can hang out at. But we were tent camping. It was a beautiful day. We had just, uh, it was the morning after we had hiked in and we were taking our time. We just slept in, and then we decided, you know, we're going to go climb this a pretty moderate route, like a moderate climbing route on this, you know, multi-pitch, you know, rock spire on the Bugaboo Spire. This is like, goes up like maybe, you know, over a 1,000 feet, and, and it was a pretty, you know, moderate within our grade. Yet we started late, and we were like behind a lot of parties, and so we were passing them, you know, Chad and Lara at that time, you know, like they were much better rock climbers than me. And, and we had, um, you know, our focus with, you know, we get to the summit of this and there's actually, it's a snow cap summit. So we had um, like a small ice axe, we had crampons, we had climbing boots, but we also had our rock shoes. And this is like what we would call like an alpine mountaineering climb where you're actually bridging like mountaineering, which is like rock and ice and snow with, you know, like kind of rock climbing technique, so climbing technical rock. Well, we didn't know that, you know, we'd pass all these parties. We didn't know that on the other side of the mountain 
this huge weather system was coming in. And we were just and on the upper part of the mountain, the climbing rock, the rock that we were climbing, was all like packed with snow and ice. So it, was, it slowed us down. And climbing as a team of three, you always, you're slow anyways. And so we were going a lot slower. And then all of a sudden, you know, the precipitation started to come in. And we could actually see that this like major system was right there. And we're pretty high up. Um, and so we couldn't really go, we couldn't, our plan was to abort going up and over. And we planned to repel, which is, um, repelling is actually a, a, a way of descending the rock uh, through anchor. You run the rope through an anchor and then you, you kind of allow, you have a friction hitch or friction sort of device that allows you to, to slowly lower yourself, scale down the rock. And so we start doing that. But people don't normally go down that way. So there were, were not any established anchors. And so we actually had to place a lot of climbing gear and leave a lot of gear on the route as we were descending. But while we were doing that, the storm just intensified. It started to snow. And then this huge electrical storm descended on us. And we were getting the rope stuck. And we'd get the rope stuck. And someone would have to go up there and unstick the rope. We'd get the rope stuck when we were pulling the rope down from where we had just repelled from. And it, uh, it was intense. We had this metal on our backs. We had to like take all the metal, like the ice axe, crampons, put it in a place. And then like find like a ledge and just kind of hang out because it was like full on lightning. I thought I was going to die. I literally, you know, I was just like, I was literally praying so hard. Like, and, I, and I hadn't really remembered about prayer at that point um, in and a while. What were, do you remember your prayers? <laughs> I was just, like, I, I grew for, up, yeah, well, you know, I grew up Roman Catholic. Too. Yeah, I grew up in a Roman Catholic, really devout family. And, and when I was 16, I kind of like, I knew that wasn't for me. And that's a whole other story of my spiritual path. But uh, at that point, I like, you know, I was just like, I guess my main conduit was like Jesus. I was like, you know, praying to like, you know, <laughs> just something outside of myself. And uh, and I just remember just being just really scared and really just like, just you know, if I can, if I can get down, you know, like you know, I, I don't, I think I said like I'd go to church again. <laughs> Which I ne- which I didn't end up going to church again, but um. that's like the amazing thing, like <laughs> negotiations with God. You know, those conversations with mm-hmm. God, negotiations yeah. with God. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I once got like I was in Nashville and I um, <sighs> I hosted this party on New Year's. I was supposed to host this party mm-hmm. on New Year's, and I want to hear I want to hear this rest of the story, but real yeah, quick, yeah. real quick. And they double booked the house. I had people coming from Israel. I had people coming from all over the place. It was like Nash Vegas New Year's, and I was the man in charge. Mm-hmm. And the house I went to, there was a whole party already at. And then Rusty Rust, if you ever listen to this, he's apparently a professional bass fisherman hmm. <laughs> in Nashville that did this. This is his house. That sounds like a bass fishing this. name, Rusty yeah. Rust. <laughs> and uh, we, I made sure Rusty Rust knew okay. what I was dealing with. Uh-huh. I mean, he went, he gave us his house, his own house. Uh-huh. Cool. Yeah. New Year's Eve there. And then that night, I got so out of my mind. Mm-hmm. Somehow, I think I didn't eat enough. I had, and I maybe I, something I did, like a combination of things. I got, mm-hmm. I was this sick guy on the side of the street puking and blacked mm-hmm. out, like out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. And I've never been that. Okay. I just immediately told people to check me in the hotel, and I looked in the mirror, and I was like, I'm not doing 
any of that. Like uh, something happened in the mirror mm-hmm. where it felt like God, negotiation with God. I'm like, I'm not doing any of that, which I thought was like a combination mm-hmm. of maybe tobacco, cannabis, maybe some other things, like, like some a drink. I don't know what mm-hmm. happened. but So I was just cut out. I cut out alcohol, caffeine, tobacco, uh, masturbation, all mm-hmm. these things. Yeah. And I was like, until, and I made the deal in the, I made the deal in the mirror mm-hmm. with what I think That's we could call God. Pretty profound, actually. Um, that to, yeah. to, till Nathaniel's birthday. Mm-hmm. Till Nathaniel's birthday. Okay. And, I, and then all of a sudden, I got like this third wind of sobriety. I felt like awake, clear, because mm-hmm. I didn't know what was happening. I, yeah. I thought something really, uh, something happened to me. Mm-hmm. And I snapped out of it. I had a great party for the rest of the evening. And then I looked at Nathaniel's calendar on the birthday, and it was 40 days and 40 nights away. Wow. Okay. Predetermined. And, and, and then yeah. that's Rob mm-hmm. Ross happened like about four months after. Really? That. Yeah. Okay. And that's how we met. <laughs> yeah. Just me following you and your brothers and, and Rob Ross. And Jared. And Jared. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, Jared, yeah. So negotiations with God. Mm-hmm. So you uh, were on the mountains uh, yeah. negotiating yeah. with God that you would go back to church yeah. with Jesus. With, you know, and I, and I was, you know, I was, again, like, yeah, with Jesus, you know, go back to Roman Catholic Church, and I had, you know, been really been to I, I the Roman Catholic Church in a long time. I think I remember it was with Jesus too for me in the mirror, but okay, just to reflect. Yeah, yeah. Let's go ahead. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, we're, so yeah, you know, we started just slowly, you know, kind of making our way down, and I remember like one of the last repels. Um, I was watching, like I was like. You know, at this point, it's raining and it's and it's actually dark now. It's like it's 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 dark. We have headlamps on. I didn't bring you know we didn't bring enough clothing. I had like a windbreaker, and because uh, we weren't expecting to be to have this happen and to have like what we would call like in climbing an, an epic, like an if you have a really hard time in the mountains, it's like oh wow that was epic where it was or you epicked. It's like, a, it's like <laughs> you're epicking, you know? It's I like know. when someone says the surfer's epic, yeah. we pay attention. Yeah, like what you and Timothy experience you know, was would be like an would be like an epic. <laughs> okay, in the mountain climbing world. Yeah, yeah in yeah. the mountain climbing world. I think in the surfing world that would been called like a bad wipeout. Okay. I don't think you got out of that one. Yeah. Yeah. But epic is usually like good things in surfing. Like the sur- the condition. Oh, that was epic. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. like the surf is epic right now. Like go surfing. Oh yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm like sitting there, I'm watching Chad and we're running, you know, typically you're, like we're running the climbing rope through metal, you know, like different sorts of like carabiners and we're leaving cams. I don't know if your listeners know what all these things are, but this is like climbing gear that we put into cracks in the rock that are solid. And then we uh, have, um, we run the rope, you know, through like a carabiner or a series of carabiners, like you know, like an anchor and that's secure. And that will actually, we can trust that to actually hold our body weight. And, but we had left so much gear and I was watching Chad thread the rope, which was wet, it was nylon through like a nylon, like a sling, like a nylon sling. And we weren't threading it through any metal. And I was just like, you know, in my head, I'm like, we shouldn't be doing this. But I was like hypothermic and I wasn't thinking straight. We did it. All three of us rappel down like separately to like where we were at the end of the rope. And there's like a little ledge for our feet. And we're at like this anchor. There was actually bolts at that point in the wall. 
that uh, we could then, you know, set up the rappel and rappel from there. Well, we go to pull the rope and it doesn't budge because wet nylon going through wet nylon is it's it creates like a static sort of resistance. And plus we were at like a very steep part of the climb. So we're just like the rope, you know, it's raining, it's dark, it's cold. And we the rope won't budge. So we ended up doing a thing where Lara and Chad were like really just like put all their weight, just pull down on one end of the rope. And these climbing ropes have a dynamic factor, meaning they they stretch. So they would stretch the rope, release it, it would create a shock load, and I'd have the other end of the rope and I'd pull down maybe like an inch. And then we did this for like, it must have taken like an hour to fully inch the rope up and through the, the wet nylon to where it came down. We probably destroyed the rope, um, but it didn't really matter at that point. And so then we find our, found, found ourselves getting ourselves down to the base of the climb, but we were still probably about, um, we had to do a bunch of other you know, rappels to get down to the glacier and then to hike down the glacier to where our tented camp was. So we were still like a bit of a ways away. So we ended up like sleeping um, and it's dark and again, it's raining, it's cold. Um, and we ended up finding a cave like within the rocks and we ended up like sleeping in that cave um, that night, well, kind of quasi sleeping. And so we had Lara, you know, Chad's wife, my friend, in the middle, and then Chad was on one side, I was on the other side, and we just like huddled. And I had Chad's legs on me, which felt great because it was like that extra warmth. Yet Chad, back in the day, was like, I think he became like an alternate for the US men's luge team. So he had these like colossal legs that were like tree trunks. And we had, I had drifted off to sleep and then I woke up and I had Chad's legs on me and I, I couldn't feel my legs because his legs were like so heavy. And I, you know, I, I couldn't, I, you know, so we kind of did that sort of titration of like kind of getting a little bit of sleep, waking up, kind of warming ourselves up. And then the sun came up and it was like a new day. It felt like being you know, reborn coming out Lazarus out of the cave. And, uh, and then we made on the our side of the mountain on the, the side of the mountain. Yeah. And then we made our way back down to where camp was and the weather had changed and, and we hiked out and that was like, we, you know, we're like, okay, we're done sort of thing. Yeah. So that was the, probably the moment that stuck out the most of like the most, like where I felt like, yeah, really on the edge of life and death. Wow. <laughs> Well, on the edge of life and death, and you mentioned that Chad and Laura? Chad and Lara. Lara. L-A-R-A, Lara. Yeah. Did you say they're no longer yeah. in the predetermined mm -hmm. language they chose to leave? Yeah. Or, well, or, they, or they were destined to leave? Yeah, they both died in the mountains on separate separate occasions. And that's a huge part of my, my you know, it really affected me because uh, Lara in particular was probably one of my best friends. Oh, wow. And, you know, and Chad too. Um, and it was like one of those things at that time in my life where I, you know, I could just walk into their house without, you know, just open the door and I was always welcome. And we would spend so much time together climbing, adventuring, and they both were really um, like professionals, like, you know, they, they were both like professional rated climbers. And they both were on separate expeditions and Lara was the first one to pass. And she, um, yeah, this is, that's a whole other story. 
but she ended up uh, uh, dying on a mountain up in Alaska in the Ruth Gorge called Mount Wake, W-A-K-E. And she had, it was a fall that she had done. And then Chad at that time was It was in, a fall? She a, a fall, yeah. She, she had, fell? Yeah, that, so that rappelling that I was telling you about, yeah. she actually rappelled off the end of the rope. Yeah, and yeah, fell, died, yeah. And yeah, and so Chad, her husband, was actually in China um, with some other climber friends that we know doing a first ascent on a, on a big alpine peak in China. And he found out that, the, that information. And then he had to leave, like, I think like a, you know, some sort of person from the village they was that he that person was able to get the information and then go up and and then translators translate that his wife had died, was killed and then Chad uh, created that long journey back to be back you know for the services right and and me actually I was actually on it was my first time on Everest I was on Everest on the north side in Tibet so in a way I was in you know Tibet occupied China and. And I was in Tibet at Everest uh, base camp, and we had uh, we had email that would come in. We had a satellite phone, and uh, a good friend of mine at the time, uh, Mark Westman, ended up like uh, sending a message because he knew how close Laura and I were, and I got that information. You know, and it just uh, floored me. Yeah. Floored you on top of Mount Everest? Well, I was in a, well. I was at one of the base camps, and I was just like I. You know, Got you know, it was just a, he's like you know I mean the you know the guy who I was I was co-guiding the trip this the leader Duncan Chesel um, came to me he's like hey you need to come here and and he had read the email I read it and I literally just was like in disbelief shock which is like really probably the first stage of grief is the the shock that you can't believe it happened and then I went back to my tent and I wept I, I just I was in my tent the rest of the day really um, just you know, weeping, and then was able to get to a place because uh, we, you know, we had a climb, you know, we were climbing the mountain. So I was able to get to this place where I was able to really uh, allow just just the love and connection I had for this friend to support me in this way of uh, uh, climbing, you know, you know, climbing Everest. And I, and honestly, I did feel her presence when I was up there. And I felt like I had her presence with me. So, so yeah. Um, so that's what happened to Lara. There's so much more to her. She was an amazing person. She was like one of these people that that brought people together. And and Chad ended up uh, having a whole. They should make a. Someone needs to write a book about Chad, or write a movie, or do a movie about him because his story, like after that, was such a like a hero's journey. And and he ended up getting cancer, not too long after Lara's passing, and uh, had like uh, eleven inches of his colon removed, and or, yeah, and made it his mission uh, to heal. And he brought meditation into his life, and he really changed his lifestyle. And he was uh, a professional climber. He was sponsored. He. Chad's main focus was doing speed climbing. So he would go and do and try to do the fastest amount of, try to get the fastest time up a mountain. So wow. his biggest thing, he had the record. Wow. He had the record on Mount Rainier, which is a big mountain 
you know, big volcano outside Seattle for a while. He had the record on Mount um, McKinley or Denali up in Alaska. That's where we met, actually. He had just broken the uh, the speed record. He had climbed, you know, Mount McKinley or Denali. It's like 20,000 feet, 6,000 meters. He did. The, it usually takes about, uh, you know, two to three weeks to climb this mountain. He had pre-acclimatized and did it in like round trip of like 14 hours up and back. Oh, no, I think he did it 14 hours up, but it was like less than 24 hours, you know, back down or something. So anyways, he was a force. He was a force. Yeah, if you ever get a chance, uh, YouTube Chad Kellogg and check him out. See if there's any stuff that you can find on him. But uh, Chad um, ended up dying a um, little, little while after Lars' death. And Chad, act- Chad was actually climbing um, a really steep a rock pinnacle down in uh, Patagonia and in Argentina. And uh, they, his whole story, yeah, there's more to his story, but anyways, they had climbed a technical route to the top of this mountain. And they were, instead of going back down the side that they went or going down a, a more established descent route off that mountain, they decided to go down another route, which is called the Super Canaletta, which people often climb up, but a lot of people don't often go down it. And the reason why they don't go, don't go down it is because there's a lot of like loose rock. You can get a lot, like a lot of rock fall. And him and his climbing partner, they were trying to link, do this link up where they would summit this peak and then they would go down the other side of the mountain and they would be in a better position for climbing this other peak. And so they're trying to do this link up in a short amount of time. Well, anyways, they're on their way down the, this route, the Super Canaletta, and uh, they were at an anchor. And so they were going to pull the rope. They were rappelling. They were pulling the rope. And... During that process, they had dislodged a bunch of rock. And they were like, you know, like whenever you get rock falling down from you in the mountains, it's like, it's nerve wracking. And it's, you, you kind of instinctually just go to wherever, you know, you know, where, where you, just where you feel you need to go to be safe. And after the rock had fallen, after the rock had fallen, uh, Chad's climbing partner looked to him and Chad was, he was dead. Um, like a rock the size of a pretty sub- 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 substantial rock had hit him in the square, square of his forehead and killed him instantly. He was like dead. And they're pretty high, maybe like a thousand feet up this rock face still. And it's like getting dark. And so the climbing, his climbing partner had to, um, had to leave Chad there and take all the gear like, you know, t- you know, take, you know, the climbing gear and whatever gear he needed to get down safely. And he had to repel. And I think it's our rating. He had to repel down that rock face. Um, and, uh, and, yeah, I couldn't have imagined what that would have been like, you know, after having experienced that and having to get down. And then he was soaked to the bone. And then he, like, kind of, like, crawled himself back to, uh, you know, um, you know, where the, you know, where the climbers all hang out. It's like this town. And so Chad was up there for quite some time, actually. And eventually some people actually went there and uh, dislodged him. And then they went down to where he, he had fallen. And they like, uh, I think they put him in a, they buried him in a crevasse. 
And then so that's uh, what's a crevasse? I don't know if I know. That. So glaciers, are like, so a, a crevasse is like a crack in the glacier. Okay. Yeah, it's kind of where the uh, there's, depending on how the glacier is actually coming down, the the underlying topography, it uh, there are certain stress zones within that the ice because the ice is very elastic and you get cracks. So they had they had from what I understand it buried them in, in a in a in a crevasse. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Devastating. And yeah, you know, and then you think about the parents, right? You think about the family. Um, and, uh, you know, I, and I knew his, both, both Laura and Chad's families really well. And so, yeah, that was a really tough time. And How close were the two departures? I'd have to look at it. Maybe our fact check. Like a year? <laughs> no, no, it was, it was longer. It was uh, like, okay, it was a okay. bunch I, of, I yeah, was curious, yeah, yeah, it was a bunch of years. But, uh, <sighs> yeah. Wow. Yeah, no, it was that was a tough time. It's, you know, I still think about them often, but that's like a part of the grieving process, like dealing with grief. It minimally takes about three years for a person to truly process uh, grieving someone, you know, with where they can move on. Well, yeah, you mentioned that. I mean, I bet who knows how many people can relate to that. Would you want to talk about that for a moment? What, just a coconut shell of what do you mean by grief takes stages? What stages? Oh, three years? Well, what were those stages? Yeah, so you know, I'm getting into like the psychotherapy. And so... In, and is uh, that part of Mountain Within? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, Mountain so. Within is my, uh, is my LLC, which is focused on uh, psychotherapy. So doing counseling therapy with people. And it's also, I do... Uh, what we what I like to call integration coaching, and uh, and that's that's the focus right now is uh, yeah doing therapy. I've met someone that I used to do when I did um, I forget what the, I was doing like Freedom Catalyst consultations or something, and I met a guy that was talking about doing therapy through hiking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and combining the two. Yeah, yeah. Do you do that? Do you take people on therapeutic hikes? I don't. No, I, well, I'm I'm newly a therapist. I I just. Uh, um, I graduated. I went back to school for therapy after, like I said, after working as a profession as a mountain guide for like 20 plus years. It'd been like 26 years since my undergrad. And uh, yeah, I decided to go back to school to, to work out, to acquire my master's at the age of 44. I'm 47 now. It took three years, a three-year program. And so, yeah, I graduated in May. I worked an internship. And now I opened up my uh, private practice. <clears throat> And, uh, and so I'm working with people and I've been working with clients for, um, probably about a year and a half now. Is grief a specialty that mm. you work with? I mean, I'm imagining uh, therapists have different specialties or no. Yeah. Well, how do you, yeah. Uh, who goes to you? Yeah. Uh, well, no, it's, it's not a specialty. I do have training in grief counseling from my education. So like dealing with grief, dealing with transitions, uh, like like letting go of old patterns, going you know, creating a new life for yourself. There's going to be a certain grieving that takes place, and I'll bring it to me. Like I had to grieve and let go of being a mountain guide for 20 plus years in order to actually step into this new like, profession. The one that you're just yes, stepping yeah, into. Yeah. Nice, yeah. Nice. That's, well, it's good to be here while you step into that. Yeah, thank you. But to bring it back to your question around, you know, your friend that does. Hiking and therapy, that would be known as um, um, wilderness therapy, you know, where you're actually utilizing nature and the wilderness environment to work with people. And uh, the wilderness is such a container that it can be very therapeutic for people. And uh, 
And so I think eventually I'm, I might start to bring my people. I, I envision myself, um, like I've been working with a lot of couples. I do couples counseling is some of the work I do. And I envision myself like doing like these like retreats with couples in really cool places, like maybe going to like Machu Picchu or have you ever been to Machu Picchu? Yeah. Yeah. Like maybe going there. With or, Diana. With, okay. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, just to make it on brand to what you're talking oh, about. Oh, yeah. Like okay. Yeah. Counseling. Yeah. Couples counseling. Oh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. But maybe Not I only Diana, but Timothy, uh, Steph, Hindle, and oh. uh, Perzon, ironic. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Great. Yeah. So okay. maybe, yeah, maybe I shouldn't go there. Maybe you shouldn't get aware too much. Much beat you. Why? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you mean because with Diana? Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's a that's a good topic. Yeah. You know, I, I'm not going to talk much about um, any kind of logistics of that. But uh, yeah, Diana is one of the best things. That, I mean, is argue like it depends on how you. Yeah. Marrying and being with Diana yeah. is one of the best things that's ever happened to wow. me. Yeah, yeah. And now Davina. Mm-hmm. Whoa. Yeah. Best thing that's ever happened for me. Like if we're talking just purely physical yeah, form yeah. and my yeah. reality yeah. of like all the things I've experienced. Like Davina. Yeah. Each breath with Davina. Yeah. And um, yep. Oh yeah. yeah. The best plans are unplanned. Like hooey. I'm on. <laughs> I'm on a mountain within mm-hmm. with a logistics. Right. Of everything. Yeah. 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 Well, you've been very transparent with me and with your journey. And it's, uh, yeah, it's, we, there's many mountains that we all have and face in life. And yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so you have not been to Machu Picchu? Is that what you said? I have. Yeah. yeah. You, yeah. Just, you said you maybe you shouldn't do what there? <laughs> well, run, run couples retreats. Oh, runs couples retreats. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You got me good there. Yeah. No one, no, no one caught my attention. <laughs> Let's see. Um, uh, my dry sense of humor. <laughs> so yeah, you know that's something I feel like down the road would be would be interesting. Well, I definitely have two questions for mm-hmm. you. I want to make sure. Let's. Why don't you? Can you give us a little like if someone was like, "Hey, you have ninety seconds to tell us about like the stages of grief." Go. Oh yeah. Okay. And then you have, hey, you have ninety seconds to tell us about the stages of a loke up to this point. Okay. Chronologically. Yeah. Well, stages of grief, it oftentimes takes like three years and a lot of different cultures have different ways of, of handling grief. And there's like a lot of like indigenous cultures have different ways of grieving. Okay. Like a, a village in Africa would be very different from like, you know, a town in, in Illinois. And so in Grief, there's like, there is actually this thing called like the grief wheel. You can just look it up. It's called the grief wheel and it's just like a diagram. And there's like four or five stages. And the first stage would be shock. The second stage would be protest. Like you're protesting the fact internally that this person is gone. The third, I believe, is called like disorganization, where you start to really start to kind of like, kind of get broken down and disorganized around this news. And then the stage after that is like organization. So in order to organize, you actually have to like go into the, this disorganized state. And, and then that kind of goes around that circle as long, or you might get stuck in a stage for a long time. As long as it... You mean it goes in the circle forever? Yeah, like, forever. well, it, that kind of that, that, se- that sequence <laughs> of like shock, protests, yeah. disorganized, organization, it kind of like can go in that that sort of it's different for for everyone 
until you you've until you've you've integrated the grief and it's not really letting go i i, I often look at letting go and, and in, integration as two different things um i often look at like letting go is is almost like it almost feels kind of like a, like a spiritual bypassing in you in a way whereas like the integration of something is that you've sat with it long enough that you're able to to organize to reorganize around it and to actually move forward in your life to where you can actually be a better person based on that that challenge or based on that grief or that loss um, does that make sense it makes sense i made the i, I it makes so much sense and uh, i can relate with the i mean and i um i got disturbed because <laughs> i made the mistake of having i guess my phone was on silent but not airplane mode Okay. But my landlord, and I'm going to talk about this right now, mm-hmm. right, right now, because my landlord is like, Daniel, your dog has been going crazy for a couple a couple hours. People are complaining. Mm. That's not my dog. No, no. It's that, that's dog that, that's that, that black mixed lab dog. That apparently a dog. That almost attacked me. Us, yeah, <laughs> that almost attacked you. There was apparently a dog in my yeah, area that almost attacked a loke on the way. Yeah. And this well, text attacked, message, but, or whatever, but yeah. like where people would complain. Yeah, yeah. So I just got that text message. Yeah. Well, yeah, interesting. The synchronicities. Thank you for being here. Yeah, doggy time. Yeah, that we double doggy time. No, I really looked at that dog as a very sweet dog. Yeah, it's I don't know. It, you know, it, I'm kind of curious, questionable of like maybe its owner. You know, just allowing their dog to run around, you know, unleashed at night, and so yeah, so. I'm just going to address this and say that I'll call, not my dog, we'll call soon. Yeah, yeah. It's a fun podcast. <laughs> <laughs> we'll call soon. These are real life things yeah. that are happening. <laughs> uh, recording a podcast. Mm-hmm. As you play with the chess pieces, yes. you're good. I think you're good at chess. Mm-hmm. What do you got? You got to say, do you have any sales on like why someone might want to get involved in chess or how to get better at chess or what's mm-hmm. your philosophy on chess? Because I'm very new to it. But I'm very, I'm like, it almost seems like borderline like, Oh, it's mm. a lot there. It's like a mountain yeah. within. No, it's all relative. It's like I, I started playing at a pretty young age. My dad had bought these big kind of like block chess pieces that actually had the moves of the pieces like written on the pieces. So like kind of like you know you think about like kids like when they're kind of given like like a big like kind of like toys that are just like oversized and these are like oversized like chess pieces that teach kids how to play chess and so I learned the game that way and I got to a point where I was beating my dad consecutively like before I was in the third grade and ended up like yeah like beating my fifth grade teacher we had like a chess tournament in the class and the and the winner got to play the the teacher and I beat him so that's kind of like my claim to fame around chess and I always enjoyed playing it yet I remember being in Nepal on one of my expeditions and being in the city of Kathmandu, which is like, uh, it's like what we would call like India light. I've never been to India, but I imagine India being like a more intense version of Kathmandu. Kathmandu, when I first arrived, it was like, it was like controlled chaos. There's so much going on there. Yet, I remember walking around the streets and just being enamored in the place. And I remember meeting, seeing this young boy that I, he must have been like maybe 10 years old with the chessboard, just sitting there, you know, open seat next to him on the side of the street. 
And I said, yeah, would you like to play? And, you know, he spoke some English. And I was like, sure. And he beat me like in like four or five moves, this 10-year-old. Like, and not only beat me once, he beat me like three times in a row. <laughs> Quick. So how'd that feel? Humbling. The, the, you yeah. know, my dad, like, for instance, I think he stopped playing chess because he hated losing. Mm. He hated yeah. Yeah, I didn't get that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, it was just humbling. I'm just like, I was like, right on. You know, like, it was mind blowing. It's like savant, chess savant on this, outside of this like tea house and, you know, Kathmandu just putting the herd on white Man. people. All right. So what I'm going to do here, I'm going to take a little pee break, text break, mm-hmm. other break, address this, and then I want to. Okay. To be continued. All right. We're back. Okay. I clarified my dogs were sleeping. Yeah. Slash, like, they're not, like, mm-hmm. peep. Yeah. That was good to clarify, because there's uh, dog racism. Pitbull. You know, I do yeah. the Uber and lifting. Yeah. Everyone smiles a side gig like yeah. I did today. The most common thing here in Boulder I hear, because this is such an activist town. Yeah. Like, these dogs get such, they're so stoked. Some people yeah, say, yeah. I could cry. I could die. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, this is the best part of my, thank you for brightening my day. Best Uber ever. Mm-hmm. You know, they're so mm-hmm. stoked on the dogs. Um, and they, but the most common thing is like something along the lines of the sentiment that these dogs have the worst reputation, but the best dogs. And then I thought about you and reputations because I could, I could go into the pit bull racism thing, but I just wanted to let that more of as a gateway into the potential new, not racism, but like um, stereotyping that you may have experienced through your schooling and graduating mm. through the pandemic do you want to talk about that at all or no? uh, yeah <laughs> i mean i know people i mean maybe you wouldn't call it all that but yeah i i just be curious how yeah you, because yeah, yeah. you've uh, if you're cool with sharing yeah. all this you yeah know, this is edit- editable yeah but, i mean if you're cool because like, yesterday i hung out with someone that like was talking about running a fully vaccinated retreat yeah like almost like confessing yeah. to me and i was like Huh? Yeah. I'm like, do you want me to tell you what I think about that? Uh huh. Um, but you had a, you went through a school thing where the vaccination and all the mandates and stuff well, were starting to impact the, maybe the little culture a bit. Yeah. So I was about two thirds through my program, and I'm not going to name the school, okay? Just out of uh, respect, because I really had an amazing experience at this school, and uh, that's in Boulder, Colorado. And uh, so I had an amazing experience in the whole pandemic happened like two-thirds of the way through this was like a, a program where we would it was very residential so we would meet in class in class like every day and uh, it was awesome very intimate and and so yeah when the everything you know when the world stopped you know everything went online and so we picked up the pieces and we we're moving forward and I actually, yeah, I was, I was fine, you know, with it. Um, and it was probably, yeah, like, I guess where, where I'll bring it in right now is more around, like, uh, the students who were, like, a year behind me at this school that were in the same program. And essentially for this school, like, at first the school was saying that they weren't going to mandate vaccinations. This was like a while ago. Like, like, you know, and then they made the decision based on, I think, uh, like a lot of, I think like University of Colorado mandated vaccines for the students to come back and to meet in person. And so this school... Oh, is that true? 
undergrad? I, I'm honestly, that's what I mean. You know, I don't at know. This point, like fact checker, this, <laughs> <at this laughs> Jared. Point, <laughs> yeah, maybe. Is the CU Boulder students have to be vaccinated? That's yeah, a good question though. Yeah, yeah, and so and it has to be is very interesting because there's all kind of like every court case that seems to go to the end of this. Yeah, is like oh, that's not actually legal right right yeah no no it's not legal but, at all. so you know what people think they have to do yeah, yeah they actually might not right well it's like it's, it's a whole litigious society possibly and and uh you know people want to feel safe whatever that means and i'm being kind of sarcastic yet um so these students that were you know and then i had just graduated and and the school had mandated that for all they wanted to meet in, perch, in person the, the next semester, which would have been in the fall, that uh, everyone would, who would want to meet, who would want to be in contact had to be fully vaccinated. And one of my friends who was, in, who was a year behind me, was, he reached out to me and because uh, we had similar um, ethics around this. And and I and I use the word ethics versus beliefs uh, because I feel it's an ethical choice, you know, whether you want to be vaccinated or not. It's a personal choice, and and it's ethical if you start imposing that choice onto others who it might not res or it does not resonate with them or does not align to them, and. And so I got kind of, I got involved in this email chain, and then we actually had a big group Zoom with the president of the school. And I at the school I had gone to a lot of these sort of things, you know, because there was a lot of uh, certain social justice stuff that would surface. Which okay, that's a whole other thing. Again, it's different perspectives, and I don't want to go down that road right now, but. Like, you know, I would, I, would, I would be involved. But I also found at this school, I had to actually, I felt internally that I had to be a lot less outspoken than I, I would want to be. And, and I felt because if you weren't, say, I guess a situation where someone mispronounced someone's pronouns in class, the whole class would become a process around this sort of thing. And I would be sitting there, okay, I'm 45, don't consider myself racist. Again, when I went to the school, I didn't really know about the whole pronoun thing. And this wasn't me. I learned pretty quick, you know, not to, like how to navigate and how to like, how to speak. But another classmate had mispronounced pronouns. Around a teacher, mispronounced Mis pronouns meaning that you, I called a, someone that I thought was a she, a she. Mm -hmm. yeah. And when they went, yeah, called it what? Uh, they, them, it wouldn't be called a they, yeah. So, like, if I was referencing Jared mm -hmm. and I was like, yeah, he when he did that, yeah, and Jared wanted, <laughs> I'm not saying yeah. true, but if he wanted to be called they, yeah, that he would be offended, yeah, and that's what y'all be. That, mm -hmm. uh, is that what you're saying that that became a yeah a pattern of processing for yeah well, it was just something that for me I just felt like for my own sovereignty um you know and I respected you know all the teachers I respected the process I respected the students I respect people who who have a preference of 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 you know of a of of prone of you know aligning with a pronoun 
that's specific to them. And yet, if someone mispronounces, it, it would become this major activation. And it was just like throwing um, like a, a match into a dry field, and it would just like blaze. And so to the point where that person who mispronounced the pronouns, they or they have to go to like a advisor, advisory board or something and within the school and they almost get kicked out and lose, you know, you know they, they can't complete their pro. Like, this didn't happen, but it, it's like that, that was like the extent. So for me, it felt like, okay, just, you know, meet people where they're at and be very mindful of my speak. So it was a good, actually, actually, in a way, it was a really cool process for me because it allowed me to be very mindful of my words. And, and so... Group, so what, have you, 1984, what is it called? Like, Truth Speak? So there's a, there's a, there's oh, 19... The, the book. Okay. They, they have a reference where you have to... You, you speak in a certain way. It was called, like, Something Speak. Okay. You know what I'm talking about? I Truth I read that book a long time ago. Truth I think I think I read that book back when I was in high school. Back when high school had us reading books like I think I read like you talked about Animal Farm. You had okay, read that yep, recently. Yep. You know, oh, wow. I think I read Animal Farm. We were told to read Animal Farm in the sixth grade. You know, like this was really now. Do you think they want you to read? Do you think they, whoever they are, whatever that means, mm -hmm. they them or uh, want they're, you they're, to oh. read those books <laughs> to be? So you're more prepared for the future that's coming, like as like mm. um, a softening, like as a mm. uh, like a what do you call it, a fluffer, a fluffer mm -hmm. for the reality to come, Whew. or do you think it's a cautionary tale, mm. or do you? What, I don't know. Yeah, no, it's that's a really good thought. Like media, you know, I've heard like a lot of the sci-fi media is really just preparing people, so it's more normalized yeah. before it as it's happening. Yeah, as yeah. it's happening. Yeah. yeah. So was that all those shows that we watched? Was that to help us? Yeah. Not put up a fight right now. Yeah. Well, it's like, you know, for me, Hollywood, City of Hell, all this stuff. Yeah. I was a child of the 80s and it was a different world. You could ride a bike without a helmet and be <laughs> completely safe and fine. And <laughs> not that, it makes, that, that doesn't make fun at all of uh, head injuries. I mean, I, I, no, I no. actually suggest wearing a helmet if you're riding a bike. Yeah. But yeah. I also don't want to infringe upon someone that. That, chooses to ride their bike without sure. a helmet. Like, yeah. They can do that. I'm, yeah, <laughs> I point my finger at the parents. It's like, why come my parents were telling me to wear? <laughs> but anyways, no, I love my parents. <laughs> anyways, so getting back to, so, okay, so there was that whole thing, you know, that so that was kind of like a little bit of like the, like the environment. And, uh, and this was very... And also mm -hmm. in the sense that like if you want to meet up in person, you have to have a vaccine. Yeah, that so very much like that environment. Yeah, yeah. So you know, initially the school had the stance that they weren't going, they were not going to mandate the vaccine. The thing was, like, my program, you know, we're online, and I actually, I, I actually liked COVID happening, and because it caused everything with therapy to go online, and I love being able to work my, with my clients remotely. It's like giving me this opportunity where I have a lot more freedom. And also, I feel like my clients that are working online, they're in their homes, they're in a safe environment. So if we're working through developmental trauma or anything like that, I feel it has a benefit, it has a place. Man, this time, this conversation right here is mm. the bee's knees. Yeah. 
because I feel like I've done a lot of different type of talk therapies in whatever we, context you want to put it. Mm-hmm. Consulting as receiving consult- yeah. consultation. They're receiving therapy, giving therapy, mm-hmm. whatever. Yeah. And I, I, don't, I, I feel like I, it was more like a broad spectrum thing for me. It was more mm-hmm. about the experience rather than naming it. Mm-hmm. And man, there's it's irreplaceable. Yeah. Both are irreplaceable. Yeah. Um, I, I see the power in the mm-hmm. online one of people yeah. being comfortable and all of a sudden being more willing yeah. to approach certain edges because they're in the comfort of their own home mm-hmm. and there's like a safety net there. Yeah. Even it's just like a phone. Yeah. They're just still there with themselves. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. that's the exact issue. Yeah. yeah. To me, that's the issue too. Yeah. That is an issue. Yeah. How effective it is on the phone is almost an issue. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. the person, right. the person is just like, Oh yeah. Cause we're kind of like in a way, there's, there's, yeah. a, there's a nervous system energy mm. that's being shared within this room right yeah. now between the three of us, the right. dogs, yep. everything. Yeah, yeah. There's a full on yeah. human, yeah. human flesh and blood experience. Mm. I'm not saying that the brain and the mind and projections and illusions can't trigger that. Right. But to, to make that the only way I'm very cautionary. Right. Well, Daniel Eisenman, thank you because yeah, it really gives me a good mirroring of really being able to look at that because yeah, like right here, we're attuning to each other's energy. We're making eye contact. It's, it's a very intimate experience that we're having Yet, uh, yeah, we are as a society being conditioned, um, especially the, yet the younger generations, to to make that like that's the reality. To depend on that. To depend to on depend that. To depend on yeah. the illusion. Yeah, yeah. I love illusions. Yeah. The movie, like going to the movies, is one of my favorite things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To get just lost in the illusion yeah. for an hour yeah. and a half. Yeah. What about the whole Facebook turning into this meta? I love it. <laughs> I mean, what do you have to say about that? Do you have to say about that? Uh, no, I think it's like, God, it's like uh, giving a heroin addict uh, an unlimited supply of of, uh, of medicine to to you know to to cope with uh, this ongoing sort of separation from from actual you know human to human existence. Yeah. It's an amazing thing. Like, I, from my understanding of the court system, my limited understanding, you mm-hmm. know, one of my roommates, my old roommate is a Los Angeles district attorney. And I think, I think he's not going to live there yeah. much longer um, because of certain, I don't even know if I'm supposed to say that. <laughs> hey, dude, I'm just joking. It's all mm-hmm. a joke. This is all just parody. Yeah. And um, this isn't factual. This yeah. Is, there's no facts around this. We're yeah. just uh, exploring the landscape here. Yeah, uh, I don't know where I was going with that. From I lost myself for a moment. That might be a good thing. Mm-hmm. I do want to know, like, before I leave, if I could just understand. So, like, if someone listens to this podcast, or if I could tell mm-hmm. you, like, Timothy's, like, so where? How did Elope grow up? Do you want to give me one of those? Just like you gave how us the wheel of grief. Yeah, give us the chronological order of Elope up into this moment. Oh, well, okay, okay. I grew up in a middle. A middle-class family in uh, upstate New York, um, South Central New York, an area would be uh, like the southern tier that includes the city of Binghamton and a lot of neighboring towns. I went to, I grew up in a small small town called Appalachian. Um, my parents um, and I and are still together. They still live in the same home that I was raised. I have an older sister uh, who has two daughters. 
who my nieces are in their early 20s. Um, I, have, I grew up with a great family. And upstate New York. Upstate New, New York, Rochester. Yeah. Uh, is Bingham, where is Bingham? It's about an hour and a half, two hours from Rochester. So Bingham is too? Bing, Binghamton is like the main city. That's um, kind of like an hour and a half south of Syracuse on Route wow. 81. And about an hour north of Scranton, Pennsylvania. You know, everyone probably knows a Scranton, PA, as from the office. I know this area, Bingham, because that's the first uh, woman I ever had sexual intercourse with. Is from there. Oh wow, cool! And we did it. Do you remember her name? Uh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> and upstate New York in Rochester. In Rochester, it was a big okay. Deal for me. It was a big yeah. deal for me. Mm-hmm. Like I say that, you know, because yeah. That might have been the only woman I did before I was married. Okay. Wow. Wow. Yeah, I had break normal there. Right on. I talked wow. to my dad about it. I consulted wow. him and everything beforehand. Before you actually had yeah. the yeah okay did, did the deed. Wow. Oh, so you put a lot of intention and thought into oh, it. Oh, it was a big deal. You consulted big. with your elder. I did. Yeah. I did. The wisdom. There was so much to talk about mm-hmm. with you. You know, consulting with elders. I'm thinking like. We haven't even gotten into how you may incorporate what some people would call psychedelics or you would call um, ceremony, plant medicine mm-hmm. ceremony. Yeah, that's good yeah. for, yeah, that's uh, what I like to call is non-ordinary. I don't call it, but it's known as non-ordinary states of consciousness. And so that, you also utilize those um, for yeah. your practice would you say or uh, not for from, you to be able to practice that would be illegal uh, for my practice although there is um within the psychedelic assisted therapy world there's like there's uh there's you know like ketamine or is is actually actively used i've never used ketamine i've for given me. people rides to take to go to the therapy. ketamine yeah. clinic yeah yeah, yeah there's sure. actually one in um that a friend of mine goes to in um outside of here and it's like it's covered underneath medicaid so if you're you know Whoa, I, no, I have not heard that yeah. most of the people i've talked to that use ketamine therapy is yeah. therapy under like a clinical setting mm-hmm. are paying a lot quite a bit of money too. yeah yeah now yeah. they're doing it under medicaid yeah, yeah. it's oh, available wow yeah horse, horse tranquilizer it's yeah, just traditionally making, kind of making a yeah. joke about with the ivermectin yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Like, horse pills like it's like an inside joke yeah, for yeah. you guys to pay attention yeah 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 god yeah god help uh aaron Rodgers. Um, <laughs> but I don't uh, even know the whole story about that, but I could guess. Yeah, yeah, it involves Joe Rogan, and uh, and so, anyways, yeah. So for me, you know, psychedelics um, was something I was introduced to during in high school, and uh, and it was something that the era that I grew up was like in like the late '80s, early '90s. The Grateful Dead was touring. Fish, the band Fish, was coming onto the scene. And so my my high school, I went to a public high school, it was like the thing that was always happening. Like, uh, not with everyone, but like a lot of like, uh, like my friend's older brothers, you know, we would look and idolize these people. And there were, and weren't, and these are people who were like, you know, top athletes at our school that were, you know, going to, you know, tour the dead or, and things like that. And so I was introduced to, to psychedelics. Wait, 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 um, wait. You, go, you lost me there. Yeah. Top athletes of your school were going to tour the Grateful Dead? Yeah, they, or they would go and they would tour. You so know, the like cool go, people at your school were going oh, yeah. to these oh, yeah. Grateful Dead totally. shows. Yeah. Well, I know one of our friends, Chef Lance, mm-hmm. who's been on the podcast before, he did, I don't know how many shows, like okay. hundreds maybe. Yeah, yeah. I don't oh, know. well. But he uh, he doesn't go to it anymore because they require vaccines in the shows. Oh, really? Just a side note. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
so <laughs> anyways, you know, that's a whole nother thing. Um, like I was a diagnosed ADHD when I was, when I was young. Um, Quick question on that. Yeah. Do you, what do you mean by that? Did you go to a psychiatrist? I went to a psychiatrist, yeah. And did they give you Child's a like, test? What yeah. did they do? What did they do to diagnose <sighs> you with the ADHD? I was pretty young. I was like, you know, probably, you know, around 10 years old. Do you, you don't remember? Did they say like, do, do you lose focus or did you like um, take a test or did they give you like a blood sample or did they like <laughs> take a mouth test? Like how did you well, diagnose with ADHD? Well, essentially, as a as a as a youngster, I was pretty much a, a ball of energy, and the fact that um, I used to just love being outside as a as a as a young child, and I was always I was involved with sports, and when I started to sit in a classroom when I was like in elementary school, I I didn't I just couldn't handle it I couldn't handle it, and uh, and I would get in trouble and. And so, yeah, it was like a con- like concern. I was held back in second grade, which was like a trauma for me at that age because all my friends, you know, were now like in the third grade and I was in the second grade. So I had this like thought that I was like less than. And uh, and so... You definitely probably were less than <laughs> in the environment of complying to sitting your ass down right. in a chair when right. you're the age of a second grader that might right. climb every biggest mountain in the right. world. But at that, at, that, <laughs> at that age in your development, it's like if you're not receiving the right attunement in terms of like helping, your, helping the child to regulate to, you know, trauma, for instance then a certain sort of like um, wounding happens on a very, very uh, core level. And so somewhere, and I'd like to, you know, maybe another time talk more, share more about trauma. Um, Yet for me at that age, being diagnosed, and they wanted to put me on Ritalin. And my mom said no, which I was very thankful for. Have you ever taken Ritalin? I'd never taken it. You've no, never taken it ever. I'd never take. I've no, ne- I'm saying you've ever tried it. No, no, no. I, I've never taken. I, I'm not like one of these people that that likes to like do a lot of these like designer, you know, substances or you know. I don't like to put. I don't really no, like. No, but to, I thought maybe somewhere along the lines you got prescribed to it. You know, I got a prescription to Adderall once for yeah. a doctor. Well, when I was okay. In college. Yeah. I never. No. Refi- I never refilled yeah. it. So this is why I gave you. I'm giving you the backstory because. My mom said no to the Ritalin from this, you know, psychiatrist. And the thing was, I suffered growing up in school. Like, I had a hard time concentrating. I did what I could. There's certain subjects that I would excel in, but I did what I could to get through. And probably the thing that helped me out the most at that time was when I was first uh, introduced to cannabis. And, And then I started to you know, at that age, work with cannabis. And, and this was a pretty young age. It was probably like in the eighth grade. Eighth grade, okay. Yeah. Not second grade. Yeah. And then um, a whole other funny story is like in the ninth grade, I remember coming back from lunch and we were off, able to go off campus. I'm walking through the basement of the high school and, and I'm going, you know, like uh, having to go to my eighth period class. And, and there's this uh, friend of mine. Um, his name was Kevin. And he was like, hey, Remza, that's my last name, would you like to split 
a, uh, a hit of acid with me, LSD. And I was like, sure. And, uh, and so we take this. I'd never done it before. I'd heard about it. And I take this half of this dose of LSD and I go to class and I'm in math class. And my teacher is like, um, hey, you need to go make up a test. And so I was like, okay. So I take the test and, and I'm in the teacher's room for the math teachers. And that's when the medicine started to kick in. And I started to have like this non-ordinary state of consciousness for the very first time in that way. And uh, I kept it together, and I remember just writing gibberish down uh, for the answers. And I remember getting the test back, and it was like all check marks. But uh, the next class was Spanish class. And at this point, I'm what full. What do you mean you wrote down gibberish and got off check marks? <laughs> like, did you just like, I'm just scribbling? Yeah, I was you just like, just, you didn't I was write like, words? I, I, I think I wrote numbers, but I just was like, I was just like filling in the blanks. So, right? how'd you get all check marks? Oh, that's like a wrong answer. Like, uh, I mean, they were all wrong answers. So I thought you get X's for wrong answers. Um, I don't know. I think we got check marks. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that was that was East Coast. That was upstate New York. I was, in down state. I was down East Coast. Are X's? Uh, East Coast. That's X's. Is that in the South? I thought X's were like, yeah. and check marks were like good. Like check. Yeah, like yeah. you did it right. Mm, yeah. Um, check yourself. <laughs> I mean, so here you are. The check. The, anyways, anyways. This, so this conversation yeah. is ridiculous to me because this is like my main issue with um, the domestication of education. Yeah. It's like trying to put the brilliance of God in the form of a mm -hmm. human in a cage. Yeah. Yeah. Vaccinated. Vaccinated. Yeah. Yeah. In a cage. Yeah. I'm just gonna yeah. Throw that in there. I'll, yeah. I'll talk about it a little bit. Yeah. So, anyways, I got through Spanish class. There's a whole more to the story, and essentially, you know, I ended the night just hanging out in my room by myself, listening to Pink Floyd, and that like was it was it was great. It was a really cool experience, and the I, Dark Side of the Moon. Mm, I think it was Animals. That was like my favorite. No, that and um, the Final Cut is is probably my favorite Pink Floyd album. So you were just laying there on the yeah. ass listening to them. Yeah, Roger Waters' The Final Cut. It was his last album before he left Pink Floyd, mm. yeah, the final cut. Great one if you ever get a chance, Spotify. Um, and so the thing is, so I'm bringing in the substances and reflecting on them back at that point in my life because those things helped me at a time when um, I was struggling with concentration and, and things really actually turned around for me, education, like academically and also scholastically. Um, and I played sports and I, and, I, and I did well. And it got to a point where I, <clears throat> and I wasn't abusing them. Uh, probably the cannabis I was, but uh, the, the psychedelics in the way of, um, you know, the LSD or mushrooms, psilocybin, I wasn't really abusing them. Um, Have you ever met someone that abuses LSD or mushrooms? I don't know if you can. Well, yeah, I think you could. You could, yeah, actually, I, I do. Think so. I, I know some people that Judge, have actually judgmental enough to think that. Well, it's it's like you know, with these non-ordinary states of consciousness, it's you kind of get you you kind of get into this thing is like, okay, I feel safer here, and I feel like where that could be, that could be where the coping 
mechanism of really not being able to fully enjoy the present moment can get, um, you know, can, you know, lead you to wanting to abuse, you know, these things. But they seem pretty challenging. Yeah. Abuse, but I, yeah. Don't, I don't know. I don't no. know anybody that does abuses yeah. them, I would say. Those mm. too. Yeah. Even if I was mm-hmm. judgmental about the word abuse. Yeah. Well, it's even... I mean, that, I've met people that smoke yeah. so much weed all day long that I'm just like, should I be smoking more weed? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, like, they're doing good. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, to kind of carry on, so essentially... They helped me at a time, but then I got to a point when I was in college, and, and again, I'll replace that word abuse with coping, because I feel that these substances can help you to cope with the pain that you're feeling inside. It can help you to cope, and it can help you in a very, in a very, if it's really held in a very good way, it can help you to heal. Okay, and so I got to a point in college where. Um, yeah, I had a really, I, I ended up stopping and it was a slow tight, it was, it was a slow letting go or integrating of letting go. And that's when I found the mountains hmm. and, um, and, and what I found in the mountains was when I would show up in the mountains, first of all, I felt very safe, even though I was in a very inherently dangerous place. And we're talking about big mountain ranges where you, get dropped off in a helicopter or an airplane or you hike in a couple of weeks. You're in the thick of it. You're in the thick of nature. And I felt very safe. And not only that, I was I had learned I'd become a mountain guide. So I was learning the the craft of being a mountain guide. And and I was at a very young age, I was in my early twenties, and I was taking groups to Nepal and climbing twenty thousand foot mountains or six thousand you know, meter mountains in Nepal with adults who are professionals in their own right and are much older than me, like 40s and 50s and 60s. Yet when I was in those areas, I felt very much in my power. Mm-hmm. And are you saying that kind of got you, was that, was that at all, and how was that involved with the plant medicine, meaning like that you... Um, cannabis led you to the mountains that's what I yeah heard. yeah because like, when i when i started guiding i would not um you know some guides i knew would you know they would sneak off in the mountains and get a little toke here and there behind yeah. the you know and kind of on the deal and then down low yeah i really i i was receiving all the healing and the medicine really because i looked at it as mountain medicine being in that in that environment that it was enough. I felt enough in I mean, that moment. There's no, I guess there's no accident. Like a lot of the most, I, I know very little about the, all the, uh, the actual data on these things, but the effective strategy of like uh, wilderness therapy mm-hmm. for sobriety yeah. seems like it's a, a go-to path for, mm-hmm. I mean, it Can exists be. for a reason. Yeah. But then I've also heard about people like just like sending their kids there. Mm-hmm, yeah, yeah. Like without the kids' consent. Mm-hmm, yeah. Like fourteen-year-old kids are like smoking mm-hmm. a joint, get kidnapped, yeah, just yeah. To go into the mountains of Utah. Yeah, I knew, like, I knew, I knew a woman, or you know, that that happened to her when she was younger, where she was actually abducted from her house, from her bed, by these people under uh, her because her parents under her parental supervision to tell her take her into the wilderness. They they took her to Utah. 
for what because of what what was she doing um she was you know i don't know doing what in i don't know I mean, substances I she mean, was it's a question i mean risky I, behavior yeah. um yeah actually teenage maybe. stuff <laughs> It might not be a question, but I guess yeah. if someone's doing like meth or heroin, yeah. like, like it like looks like they're going to kill themselves. Mm-hmm. I guess I have more empathy for the parents. Yeah. But when I hear about this happening for like a 15-year-old girl because she smoked a joint. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, there's all. So was she okay from that or was there some trauma? No, it was she... traumatizing. Yeah. And they take you out to, um, because a lot of these people that, and I, I know Mounting, I knew guides when I was mountain guiding that, that did that before they got into guiding mountains where they would actually facilitate um, the, uh, the youngsters when they were out in, in, in the deserts of Utah. And, and, some, and at night, they would take the, uh, the, the youngsters' shoes so they, or boots so they didn't have any sort of like thing, you know, because a lot of them would, would try to run away. You know, at night and to the mountains. Yeah, and these are probably like heavily drug addicted kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah or just yeah, it's or be, or they're just scared of shit. Who knows? They got abducted and they got yeah. taken to the mountains. Yeah, and they're and they're out there and they're there's certain like levels of the stuff that they would make these kids do, and I'm and not all programs are are the same. And then one program I heard, they made the kids they had like a wagon, like a wagon that you would see like on. Little house in a prairie or something, you know, like a like a, a wagon that like an oxen would would pull, and the kids they would have all their belongings in this wagon, and they would be like out in the deserts of Utah, and pushing this wagon for miles to where they're going to be at their next camp, you know. Um, again, it's I'm sure there are programs. It almost starts to sound that like, are different, um, like your friends that were hired to facilitate those programs. <laughs> It was almost as, you know, like how people get llamas or donkeys mm-hmm. to carry their yeah, yeah. through epic hikes so they don't have to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was yeah, yeah. like some sick, twisted version. Of yeah. That. Yeah. No. So <laughs> where are we right now in terms of this? Kind of, I guess I'm going down rabbit trails. Yeah. I'm like, because you, you have this, I think you have such an understanding of a culture that I have like just scratched the surface mm-hmm. of with mountaineering, climbing, yeah. psychotherapy, yeah. all of this. But these are relative things that I've heard around Boulder about these mm-hmm. um, things where they take kids yeah. mm-hmm. in the woods yeah. against their will. Yeah. Uh, but under their parents' oh, consent. Yeah. Yeah. Because maybe there's things like fentanyl floating around in sure. the drugs they're using. Yeah. Complex world. Well, but like it's almost even like paralleling right now. It's like, again, I like to think good thoughts and have a good vision for the future. But, you know, these thoughts of like, okay, if you're not vaccinated, could someone come and take you away? Oh, you're thinking about that? Like, that's a thought you're well, considering, isn't it? Well, it's, it's you know, not anything's, you know. But you're trying not to entertain that thought? Or you're well, just... I, try, I try not to envision that. But I'm also, like, a realist in, in, looking at, in looking at history to learn from that, you know, when people are forced to do something beyond their will, that, um, and, or if they're not willing to do it, then... That's where the the division, the polarization, the us versus them, and the fervor, and we start looking at like uh, Nazi Germany, what happened to the Jewish people, and you know I, I carry some Jewish lineage, so I think on a very like ancestral thing, it, you know, there's an activation there. So maybe that's something that's surfacing for me is like this 
ancestral lineage activation. Right there with you. That there's, uh, you know, like the like the canary in the coal mine, right? It's like it's a slippery slope. Right there with you, that with that ancestral activation. Mm. I was just telling that. I think I was just explaining that last mm-hmm. night. I'm like, maybe it's because my grandparents like survived the Holocaust. Mm-hmm. And, like that's a recent like. Yeah. I'm like, do y'all know? Uh, that's what I think about. About I'm like, do y'all remember this idea of the Holocaust? Yeah. And uh, and I hear Austria mm-hmm. is like a complete lockdown. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, my grandparents. I think that was. Yeah. Way back. Yeah. Is this happening again mm-hmm. on a different level? Like on mm-hmm. a on a different iteration. Right. Yeah. I mean, my understanding of prison systems, like the worst thing for a prisoner even mm-hmm. in jail would be to be locked by himself. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what people that's are. that's like the breakdown of the of the human. It's a, it's like the whole focus of breaking someone down, putting them in the hole. Where you're like forced to, you know, in a way, I guess it could be kind of like enlightening, you know, confronting your demons, and <laughs> but just, it'd be a lot nicer to have I some auto- some, no, some choice. Both are happening at once, yeah. for sure. I agree, mm-hmm. both are happening at once, yeah. for sure. Armageddon and ascension yeah. of some level yeah. of our consciousness collectively, for sure. It's well, an amazing time. Well, it really comes down to fear. I feel, you know, it's the fear. I think that's uh, something that, uh, yeah. For us to move forward and to, you know, awaken our consciousness collectively to have a good vision for the for our you know our children and, and for the earth, for all the organisms, is to have that vision and to really and I'm bringing this to me, to really to understand my fear, to know it. Mm. Yeah. That makes more sense. Mm-hmm. When you say fear blanket lady. Yeah, I don't know if I get that. But when you're saying, "Is this the time when for people to come face to face with their yeah the illusion?" Yeah, yeah. And fear is not yet. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Go ahead, go ahead. Please so it real quickly, and then we we will try. We work in this soon. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> to with it to be continued. Yeah. So I guess I'll just I won't go into fear. Maybe we can have a discussion around that another time. Yet I I want to bring some. Conclusion to your question around the now northern states of consciousness. I shared uh, some about my past with these uh, substances or plant medicines, and and then I, I shared with like how at that point in my life, you know, I found how nature really was a medicine for me, and then I started to. Um, it was probably in my late thirties. I started to hear about like ayahuasca. And I would see, you know, on Facebook, like some post, and it was a curiosity. And I started doing some, you know, what a lot of people do, get on YouTube, watch some documentaries. Um, Joe Rogan had something called Spirit Molecule, talking about DMT. And the thing was, up until that point, I never, like I had like written off psychedelics because I was just like, you know, like they're not for me. Like I, I had found something that was really healing. And but I was at a place because at that time in my life, I had been doing a lot more inter like inner work on myself, and spirituality was like really growing, regrowing within me. And and then I just said, well, if this has been for me, um, this ayahuasca because I found it fascinating, um, I want it to come to me, you know, like the universe bring it to me. 
now, you know, like they're looking at like uh, creator, bring it to me, you know, instead of seeking it out. And so I was in Maui and I had met this woman and it was a whole story. I was in a coffee shop and there was like, it was full. There was an empty chair. Do you remember which coffee shop? Called Grandmother's up in uh, Kula, up on Hayakla. Grandmother's coffee shop. Upcountry Maui. Upcountry Maui, yeah. It's hard to beat for a place. Yeah. Anyway, so there's a whole synchronicity. I can tell you a story. It's fascinating. Well, I was at this coffee shop called Grandmother's, okay? And I was outside, and the seating area was full. There was one chair open at a table with this, like, cool-looking, like, surfer chick, you know, sitting there. I was like, hey, you know, mind if I sit down? She's like, yeah, of course. And, and we ended up talking, and she invited me for a walk. We ended up walking down Thompson Road, where it like dead ends at like Oprah Winfrey's property. It's phenomenal. You know, you have Haleakala right there. You're looking out over the, you know, the ocean. And, uh, and we, you know, we just started to get to know each other as people. And I was in her apartment. She was renting a, like a, a ground level studio in this house um, up in Makawao, which is such a fantastic area. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Have I ever hung out with you in Makawao? No, seems like a place we would hang out. Yeah, I love the Makawao Forest. Walking around there, so cool. The Minahuni? Did you ever see a Minahuni? What's that? Those little people, those little trolls. No, <laughs> I don't know about the Minahuni. They 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 had they're like a logo for one of the local water companies. But there's apparently, I am not meaning to undermine mm -hmm. Minahuni. Yeah, I'm saying it as a joke because it sounds so radical. Mm -hmm. But my understanding yeah. of Minahuni are um, maybe there's these war small Hawaiian warriors mm -hmm. out there uh -huh. protecting water. Cool. Water is life. As and they I'm not say. sure if they mean yeah. in the human form. You know, I, I would love to have like someone that's a local correct me mm -hmm. or upgrade my yeah. explanation. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that was Mackawal Forest. I went. To the yeah. Wharf, with the Mackawal Forest multiple mm -hmm. times, okay, with all kinds of people, yeah, and uh, I mean, there's some things yeah. in that, like there's like these weird tunnels in the springs, yeah, that yeah, yeah, that were dug by Chinese um, slaves, diggers, or something, yeah, or like servants. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. I'm like, wait a minute, where mm -hmm. am I? Wow. I mean, literally, I'm in all these caves and spring water is dripping from yeah. I'm not even sure if I should be talking about this, but I guess if someone yeah. wants to figure it out, they can go. I've been to that spot. <laughs> okay, yeah. I, mean, yeah, yeah, I know, because I had to go through some cave, and then it, and it opened up to some sort of thing. Yeah. So anyways, so I'm in her, apart I'm in her apartment, okay, and we're talking. We hadn't talked about psychedelics, and somehow we got on the subject of psychedelics. And I gave her a little brief history of my, my, my working with them when I was younger. And I hadn't done them for a long time. And I said, there's one thing that I'd be interested in is ayahuasca. And this woman like looks at me with like this, like kind of like, hmm, like kind of like this. She walks to her refrigerator, opens it, pulls out a jar, comes back, hands that jar in my hand. And in that jar was ayahuasca. Okay. And, uh, and, I was like, wow. And like, she's like, well, not only that, you know, it's growing all over this island. You know, there's actually a whole culture. Like there was a whole like medicine culture around ayahuasca. On this, it's like a Maui type of uh, like a brew that they make. And um, 
it doesn't grow there, you know, it's not endemic to the, to the region, but uh, there's a kind of like a movement through the underground, you know, it's not legal. And so... It's not legal to make ayahuasca? Yeah. Or not, it's not legal to have it in this country. Or, really? it's, or to, 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 to serve it and... Yeah, that. yeah, no, it's I a schedule one ayahuasca. controlled... Okay, so yeah. people, my understanding of ayahuasca is like a... It's a root extract from different roots. Yeah. Or yeah. Vines. Roots yeah. and vines. Is, mm -hmm. it a, is it a root and a vine? Or is it well, different? the actual vine, it's, it's the actual what they call the ayahuasca vine mm -hmm. is, is a vine that grows. It's, uh, it's from the Amazon. Mm -hmm. So it's from deep down in the rainforest. And or growing on Maui? Like it can grow yeah, other well, places. yeah, it can grow other places. And, and Maui has that climate where it mm -hmm. can support it. Yeah. And so you take the vine... Um, which actually has a, uh, a compound in it that, um, and then you mix it, you brew it with a leaf, a of, leaf. Of, a, of another plant. And, and the leaf has DMT in it in a very high concentration. And what's the name of that leaf? Um, well, it depends on the lineage, it depends on the okay. brew, uh, Chacruna or Chalapanga. Yeah. So it has different, okay. Yeah. And and so again, but, but to, yeah. those leaves and all these ingredients are not illegal by themselves. But you're saying if someone yeah. intentionally puts yeah. those ingredients together, together. In pot, like if someone put yeah. like coffee in hot water yeah. in this country, could yeah, be, like just like uh, yeah. alcohol was illegal yeah, yeah, at one yeah, point. Yeah. But so I, I didn't know I was, yeah. was illegal. Yeah. I didn't even know that. Yeah. Wow. I yeah. wouldn't think it. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't think it. Yeah. Yeah. So that's how I was like introduced. That's like you know again, I felt like the you know, it came to me. And, um, and then uh, I started to go down to, I actually got connected to a lineage um, in Colombia. Where it's not illegal. No, no, no. It's not illegal. Yeah. It's, it's very much a part of their culture. It's like very... coca leaf. Yeah. And like the coca leaf is, is a highly revered medicine down there. That's illegal here in the United yeah. States. Yeah. Well, yeah. 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 And so... So I'll just use a disclaimer. It's like I don't use any of these substances in this country, and I, you know, I go to where it's like legal. So I go down to Colombia, and and so I got connected with a lineage. Uh, so this is like a lineage where it's like four thousand, five thousand years old, and and it's uh, it's something that's passed down through through the generations, and it's a study. It's not you just go down there and you have this experience. You're, it's a study if you decide to walk that path into into embody you know um, you know the understandings and the teachings that these plant spirits uh, can offer. And so that's uh, in the long and short, like how these non ordinary states of consciousness have trans have uh, have have kind of gone through my life and you know transformed. And I, for me personally, um, I'm a transpersonal therapist. And transpersonal is a term in psychology that means going beyond the individual or going beyond the, the relationship between the, the client and the therapist, meaning you're incorporating a larger container. And if you look at the container that is in therapy, it's between the therapist and the client, the larger container is however you want to define it, define it, and it would be like, for some, it could be like a religion. It could be God. It just connection to source, the universe. You're so just you're saying you work with all those elements. Yeah, I, I I connect. I work with the spirit realm in my therapy. 
And then, like, uh, you know, and I've heard a little bit about some of the plant medicine ceremonies, but, like, the one just to sprinkle it in there because mm-hmm. one of the previous podcast guests in because we're just way breaking normal time. Like, yeah. Great. Like, mm-hmm. 47, baby. Okay. I mean. Yeah, I, I feel complete. So, like, uh, however no, no, you want to. but the, yeah. um, the Jesus, like, a Jesus mm-hmm. in, with this plant medicine. Because yeah. I'm, like, a, I, I know so many great people. This is what I will say. Yeah. One of my previous podcasts, Josh Rainier Gold, I think on the it was either on the interview or off the interview. He was talking about how he's like, yeah, these days, like with everything that's going on, mm-hmm. I just like want to be around Christians. Yeah. I'm like, I, he's like, I was used to, I, I heard him yeah. kind of express, like I used to be like an ant, like I was against that. Yeah. yeah. But these days I like, I, I might yeah. have to become a Christian. Interesting. And I know that's why I thought I was like, that's mm-hmm. interesting. And the interesting thing for me is I'm like, I agree with the Christians that I know how mm-hmm. they're navigating yeah. this current cultural yeah. phenomenon. And with people that are in plant medicine, mm-hmm. for sure, like both of those. Yeah, is that you would think like I, yeah, uh, yeah, you would think I'm more involved in plant medicine than I am based on my friend group. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All the people I've met through you are. I mean, I'm saying I'm not mm-hmm. saying that I'm not, but mm-hmm. not like necessarily in the realms and certain realms with certain yeah things that like they are. Well, and like yeah. you are, and yeah. like y'all well, are. And I just find it fine. But I was just like, just like Josh. I'm like, well, I mean, it seems like they see through the illusion. Yeah. Well, it's, you know, for me, it, you know, it felt like a calling. Okay. There was a calling. And it's not for everyone. And, it, uh, and it's, it's a lot. It can, you know, it's, for me, it, it, it's been a lot of work. And, and so, you know, like I said, I'm connected with uh, this lineage in Columbia. And I actually have uh, two teachers that I work with down there. And it's interesting because how I got connected to them was through a high school friend of mine who I hadn't seen for 26 years that uh, a mutual friend of ours from high school had asked me to reach out to her. And that mutual friend actually had a, a mental break. He had a psychotic break, not on any substances. But he had a mental break, which I actually think he had a spiritual emergency. I was just about to say yeah. too, like yeah. mental like, break. Yeah. I don't yeah. know if I love that phrase. I know, but spiritual emergency—that sounds pretty interesting. Yeah, he had had like this spiritual emergency, and he was hospitalized. And um, and he and I was talking to him just before I, I, I became a therapist, you know. But I had been thinking about therapy, and I was talking to him just as support, you know, while he was in the hospital. And he had asked me to reach out to this friend, and so I was friends with her on Facebook. Or meta now, I guess it's called. Um, <laughs> that's another story. But um, I was friends with her. I reached out to her, and again, I hadn't seen her since high school. And we connected over the phone, and somehow the medicine came up, the ayahuasca, and uh, and she shared with me that her and her husband had met this this uh, Colombian shaman, or what they call as a taita down there. Taita means like guide or friend. It's like shaman down there. It's like a, it's a revered title that uh, these medicine people have. It's like the pinnacle of, um, of that. And, uh, and she told me that her and her husband had gone to Costa Rica again, where it's legal. It's illegal. It's, oh, it, it is, is legal. legal. Oh, yeah, yeah. In Costa Rica. Okay, that makes sense. That makes yeah, sense. Yeah. And there's uh, it grows in Costa Rica too. I'm imagining. Yeah. 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 They cultivate it there mm-hmm. yeah. and there's retreat centers and all sorts of stuff. But they had met this uh, Colombian Taita shaman there. And the way she explained this guy to me, she's like, it feels like a mix of Jesus and Buddha. 
that's like the vibe that she got from this guy. And, um, and so I'm like, okay. And, uh, and so I, I took a leap. I went down there and had, you know, my first, you know, experience, you know, down there and, and, uh, had a very transformative, you know, I had, had like a, like a, what, like a, an egoic death where I actually had this like death experience where I actually really thought I died and I really feel like I did die. And then I came back and I was like, felt born again. And it was just like this, the second, like, uh, kind of, it, w- it felt like more like an awakening. Like I felt like I had been slowly awakening, but this was kind of like, uh, you know, a, like a jump into the abyss and then being caught and held and then, you know, given this opportunity to um, really begin to take a lot of investment in my life. Mm. And this is after, you know, being a mountain guy for 20 years, you know, doing all the big peaks, yeah, all this stuff. Say, like, sort of sounds like it resembles you coming out of a cave yeah. on a sunrise yeah. after wondering yeah. if you were going to die or not. Yeah. It's mean, yeah. very similar. Yeah. And there's moments where when I'm working with the medicine down there in this tradition and, uh, it's, I'm, I have so much integrity and respect and humility around, you know, this medicine and the path that, you know, I do feel like, uh, that one particular shaman or Taita, I'm like, you know, is this guy really, is this guy Jesus? <laughs> I really do feel like sometimes like, you know, it's just that, you know, but it's, it's often like, it's a, we look at the Christ consciousness or the collective consciousness. Wow, and, you know the issue with talking with you under a creative constraint is you mm-hmm. oh, everything you say almost opens up so many rabbit holes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jeez, it's all connected. But at one of those moments when you were in one of your more intense plant medicine ceremonies, I remember you saying that you were calling on Jesus. Oh yeah, I just find it all. Yeah, many times, like uh, so fascinating, because there's like a lot of Jesus folk in Georgia that would not yeah. buy yeah. Like this. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, if I was like driving on an icy road and all of a sudden my car starts spinning, yeah, I start calling for Jesus. It, it just comes out. And, um, and so, yeah, in some of these experiences, I found that I was, I, was, I was looking for, you know, like you're calling to these guides, you're calling to these people in the spiritual realm that, are, that I feel, you know, it's like, having some sort of anchor while you're delving into your, your shadow is a pretty good thing to have. It's pretty good to have in your back pocket. And, and the shadow work is very much a part of, uh, I feel, of really being able to awaken as a, as a, as a collective, as a consciousness. It's like, it's, it's, like uh, it's, it's, it's healing from a collective trauma that I feel that we're all in right now. And to, um, in, in order to work through a trauma, and uh, if I bring in the, the psychological lens, you actually have to re-experience the trauma. You have to go to that place from the origin and then go all the way back through it to where you can bring yourself back to a baseline of regulation. And I feel that baseline of regulation on a collective level, level consciousness-wise, is collective consciousness is collective knowing is being fully awakened into the Christ consciousness or the collective consciousness or the Buddhahood that, uh, that is in all of you us. You mean if we all focus on healing ourselves, mm-hmm. that's the key? 
Is that, but, right? yeah. Is that another way of saying what you're saying? Yeah. And I have this, I'm building a website right now. It's uh, mountainwithin.com. And, um, and so that's something that you can check out eventually. It's not out yet. But that is something that um, I have, I, I wrote last night when I was, I was up to four in the morning working on this website. And I wrote down, um, heal yourself and, uh, and, and, uh, and we, and we heal the earth. It's like, you know, like, it's, yeah, you know, there's so many different linguologies mm-hmm. around like yeah. even Jesus, plant medicine, mm-hmm. drugs, yeah. 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 words, words, words. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, what I want, all I, what I want, and I think that I'm hanging around people that do that for the most part, mm-hmm. are just kind of like aiming to accurately report what's happening for them. Mm-hmm. And then I do think the next step yeah. would be making that better for themselves yeah. and then taking notes on yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, isn't that like yeah. if you were like climbing a route? Isn't mm-hmm. that the idea? Like when I, I've gone, to, well, I've done a few climbs, like in more indoor bouldering projects. Yeah. But the idea, my understanding is, like, yeah. I'm gonna give this a real go, mm-hmm. and then I'm gonna share my notes. Yep. And then I'm gonna hear, yeah. see this person give it a real go, yeah. and then they're gonna share their notes. Mm-hmm. And we don't need anyone to tell us how to share right. our notes. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And. Yeah, that's in climbing. We have guidebooks. You know, if I want to go and climb a route up a mountain, um, someone has done it before. There's been the first ascent, and there's been uh, people who have actually compiled the pertinent information uh, to to educate you, so that you can actually go and 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 do it as safely as possible. And so, first of all, I don't want to say that you know I definitely s- don't want a group of bots creating your guidebook routine. Right. But that's happening. Term- Apparently it's yeah, happening yeah. now. Yeah, yeah. yeah bots, the algorithm. Bots yeah. are creating news. Yeah. yeah. So I just want to also make another disclaimer. <laughs> so like with therapy, I I don't with any of my clients um even bring up plant medicines. I don't even bring up my own story, you know, mm-hmm. really. And and so it's very important that it's a calling. It's a personal choice. It was a personal choice for me. It might not be the personal choice for it was another a personal person. Choice for you to ask for someone. You said that you were interested in ayahuasca, and they brought it out of their fridge for you. Well, yeah, I didn't know that she had it in her <laughs> fridge. We, <laughs> I, I asked. I, I honestly, I asked the universe. In a way, I asked God. I asked the Creator. If this is for me, I want it to come to me. I didn't, I didn't. Negotiations with God. Yeah, I didn't. Negotiation with God. Exactly. So whether that's predetermined, um, quite possibly. Yet, um, I I just want to reiterate, there's many paths to self-healing. And that's why I'm a therapist, because I can use therapy, talk therapy, and other different modalities that uh, can help people to to, uh, heal their traumas. But I say, but for me, healing my trauma, and I had a pretty big one, um, the plant medicine, it took six years, but it, it, uh, it, it healed that. And uh, I'm so thankful. And, and that's where I feel like right now, where I'm at right now in life, it's like, yeah, it was very clear for me. That was like the biggest realization um, that uh, I, I'm thankful for the trauma. I'm thankful for everything. And so in a way, did we, did we talk about the trauma that you were healing? I'm pretty, it's, you know, I was raised, you know. The trauma. Of, it, it's when I was younger. 
uh, we did not get to that. We, we didn't know. Okay. I don't think I've ever disclosed that to you. It's, okay. it's personal. Yeah, um, I'm not asking you yeah, to disclose yeah, yeah. I'm just like, I didn't know if yeah. you were talking about the trauma of maybe your friend, you losing your friend. No, well, that was traumatic. Uh, yeah. That was in a way when my friend Lara died. That's that, what I was That was, was an were... awakening for me. Like that, that woke me up. Not like woke culture. That like awakened <laughs> me up. I was just like, I was just like jarred. I'm like, what the fuck am I doing? Uh, really, you know, it was, it was more of this kind of like. Well, our guest here, Jared, right before you got here, he was telling me that story of his friend that was um, mm. going to the river and got his foot stuck, and he was playing his music. And I was like, well, who is this guy? And he was like, yeah. oh, he died in the river. He got his foot stuck and drowned. Oh my God, by other people. Well, and I guess that's that's the ultimate. That is the ultimate. Yeah. It's the ultimate context yeah. of my understanding yeah. of the setting that we're all in. Yeah. Yeah. I think I understand like yeah. stages pretty well. Yeah. And like all yeah. the different stages that we're on. Yeah. But the ultimate stage yeah. is this thing that's yeah. called birth and death. Yeah. Well, I will disclose. This is the first time I'm really disclosing it. And it feels very breaking normal for me to disclose and to share. And I'm sharing this from uh, something that uh, I didn't really know if it was really real. But yeah, for me it was it was early childhood sexual abuse, um, and it was. Uh, and you're with, saying you didn't. Oh, go ahead. It was also, you know, I was raised in a Catholic church, and and that priest, I don't necessarily know, but that priest, um, it was come to my attention like after you know you know I, you know I had left the church, uh, you know I found out that like when they did the I don't. Know, did you ever see that movie about the priests, the Catholic priests in Boston? It was Spotlight, I think it was. It was like the events, investigative journalist that uh, you know started to report on the sexual abuse Maybe. happening within the, the the Catholic Church. Maybe. So at that time, um, like New York State ended up doing a big audit of all their priests, and the priest that I had growing up was like one of ten in New York State that had repeated sexual um, abuse cases against him and in in the and this is like the great thing right like uh about uh you know like you know forgiving your sins these for him in particular he had abused in a children mainly young boys in a church that was uh, in a different church had gotten caught and they sent him to like priest rehab right and then like a retreat for priests. And then they put him in our church. Okay. And and I, I remember the collectiveness of the atmosphere in the church from the old priest to this guy. It really changed. Like this guy was like a narcissist. He was an egomaniac. Like I, I as a as a psychotherapist, I'm looking back. Oh, yeah, yeah. And and I, I'm not a person that diagnoses people because I don't believe in diagnoses of mental illness. I believe in trauma that if it's unresolved, it festers and it starts to replicate the trauma like a virus. <laughs> and so there was that. I don't know if I necessarily received the abuse from this guy, but then, I mean, yeah, you, you're, you're really, you know, you, yeah. you not understand how yeah. much of I'm an investigator yeah. mm -hmm. like, of this kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you've got my yeah, attention. Yeah, yeah. Another way, I'm like, wow, yeah. I got pee yeah. and stuff. Are you telling me that you were sexually abused by your? That was a trauma. I, I, well, there was sexual abuse somewhere, but when you're younger, and 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 when. But what that you know this gets 
Okay, so I let's. Let's. You want to do this on the show? Or yeah, not? yeah. If well, let's just. Off the show or on yeah, the yeah. Show, well, we can we can begin off, but let me just talk about trauma. When someone experiences trauma, trauma and an easy definition for trauma is too much information, too fast, and so for you know any sort of tra- like trauma that happens, PTSD, a bomb goes off, and someone it's just a lot of information too fast, and what happens is to your autonomic nervous system is it, uh, it switches into a, a fight, flight, and freeze response. It gets very limbic. It's in the, the amygdala, the back part, the, and the reptilian part of the brain, they, they call it. And in, in trauma, depending on the severity of the trauma, because there's different stages of it, trauma begins with stress. And there's like stress one, stress two, and then the stress goes to trauma. And when stress goes to trauma, it's going from a, is going from a sympathetic form of activation within the nervous system to a parasympathetic form, meaning that the biology of the body has an understanding that it knows what's happening, and it and it wants to it wants to like lessen the the impact, so you can you can dis, dissociate from the experience. That means that you actually are taken to a very like enjoyable, calm place while the abuse is being done on you. Okay. So there's there's a gap in time. And then and that's and when that happens, like that's known as like stage two trauma. So a lot of people can have, you know, uh, abuse that has happened to them. They don't really remember it. But it starts to show up in their life, you know, based on um, how they are, are how they're not able to, uh, to handle or focus, um, you know, on relationships that happens in, in all sorts of things. And so for me, it took a long time for me to really even begin to like, you know, like I really have it register that that could have happened. That, all right. Yeah. Wow. Wow. And wow. not only, it, yeah. And not only that, so there was that. And then my fifth grade teacher, I remember I, I was talking about the chess and I and I played my fifth grade yeah, teacher yeah. And, and beat him. Yeah, he was a pedophile. And did he? But did anything? I don't. Again, okay. I didn't. We always knew this particular guy was a weirdo. Okay, and he was. And I'm saying weirdo. And I don't want to be like because the thing is, I, I look at a person like the energy was strange. So I call him. I'm using that term weirdo. Yeah, okay. But you know, I, as a, as a therapist, as a mm-hmm. compassionate person, mm-hmm. it's it's having empathy. Of course, there's something deeper mm-hmm. in this person. Mm-hmm. Well, he would like no, noticeably like like rub you in class, like all the students, like really awkwardly, especially the boys. Really like come in like kind of like put his arm around you, not like mm-hmm. it didn't feel like good nurturing touch. It felt like something within you was just kind of like kind of wanting to shy away, and and it was to the point where like um, he had a reputation. So I remember in the fourth grade, you know, when we find out at the end of the fourth grade, when we find out who our teacher was, you know, I had this teacher, and someone was like, oh yeah, he's, you know, like the kids were like, yeah, like he's you know, he touches you a lot. You know, Catholic school. This no, Catholic. no, this is public school. Public school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you you're know. saying that you, well, I'm hearing from you. Just yeah. So everyone, you know, mm-hmm. my, I feel like my job, my joy yeah. being in this process is to bridge the gap of like who I can imagine my audience to be. Mm-hmm. Are you saying that you 
think you could have been mm-hmm. sexually molested from these people and not remember it? Yeah, totally. Absolutely. You, you don't remember it, but you're claiming you don't remember, but you think that's yeah. a very yep. real possibility. Yeah. Like I remember moments that yeah. were really, I, I remember. Yeah, that's yeah. really. Yeah, yeah. I remember, I remember like as looking back, I remember moments at that time in my life that were really, really strange that didn't really fit. But like. And in the thing, wow. Yeah. I guess I'm just yeah. thinking, like, and so if someone mm-hmm. touches, uh, I think I, I I trust yeah, yeah. in myself. That yeah, I've remembered every time someone touched yeah. my private part, other than yeah, like if I, I mean, I could like they might get a little blurry in college and yeah, certain yeah. context, yeah, yeah. like it's still like hands, like yeah, on my hands, but like in a certain way, I can think I can remember that, but mm-hmm. you know, I I am a hey, how would I know? Right, would I forget? Right, right. Like how well, I, if I if I yeah it's yeah it's really trippy territory. Sure. Well, it's funny that you use the word trippy because in my healing around my my trauma, and again, you know, it was like six years of working with these these indigenous um, people. That um, that yeah, this last uh, you know retreat that I did down in Colombia, the realization was around that you that. It was very much real, and 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 I was giving I was given a vision in the experience. You know, oftentimes when you're working with these uh, psycho you know psychedelics you know you know substances or plants or plant medicines, it it can have a visionary effect. And I was given this vision that was very metaphorical. That as I look at it, you know, it's like having a dream, and you kind of remember. You, maybe you don't remember a dream. You know, it was like it was remembering that 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 that, that some uh, that abuse had happened, and um, and and so. But the thing was, it was this um, this this realization of just like of of self acceptance, and that's where and that's where I'm at. That's and that's where I came out of that of really being able to truly finally mm-hmm. self accept myself. And again, this is again, this is breaking normal, honoring everything that led up to that, even the abuse. And I feel that's where, where, where um, self-forgiveness comes in and then being able to truly forgive others. And I feel as a collective, as a, as a world community, there is a lot of trauma that's happening. There's a lot of stuff that's been done, a lot of stuff. That's being done right now. It's very unjust. Yet, the only way is embracing the shadow. The only way is through this process of uh, self-forgiveness and being able to forgive. Wow! Wow! What is what is this? Um, Have you ever read the book "The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck"? No, no. By Mark Manson. Uh huh. The trippiest chapter ever. Uh huh. I'm I'm like yeah. in a bit way scared to say it, but it was trippy. It was the trippiest chapter yeah. for me in the book before this conversation mm-hmm. was about a woman that had convinced herself that she had been sexually molested by a family member. Mm-hmm. Find out that she, that wasn't true. Mm-hmm. Well, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like she was told that. Okay. She she was she was actually like, was like, like this guy's a molester. This mm-hmm. I mean you gotta, you gotta read the chapter. Okay, you gotta read the chapter. Yeah, but yeah, 
Yeah. I mean, and I will say all the retreats I've ever done, yeah. which Jared's been a lot of part of, the uh, main theme of like the confession session is usually early hood child sexual trauma. Okay. And when you talk about uh, that happening and people not remembering it, that's a, just really picking a lot. Yeah. The whole thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and the thing is, like yeah, our, yeah, it's, like, wow. it's it's actually a, a biological sort of like gift to not remember. Yeah. I can see Yet it's if you the thing is, when a trauma happens in the very and especially when you're younger, you know our growth and human development really depends on on really being able to move through all the stages of human development. And oftentimes, when a trauma happens. And it's not, uh, you don't have a, a parent there or a guardian that understands what you went through yeah, and can actually yeah. help you to move through it or like a child play therapist. Um, then what happens is that trauma is imprinted and then you start to develop a sort of protective defense. There's, there's like a protective or defensive, let's give it a voice that is like... Um, that is, I know we're at time, but but there's like a protective sort of defense that that comes in to help safeguard that younger part. And it's in it in and when I work with people with trauma, it's it's actually connecting them to that voice of that younger part that was traumatized, that didn't have anyone at that time. Yet in between that younger part and in between the self, and the self is like your self-actualized self your present moment in the awareness self, in between that is a manager. And that manager, his main job is to keep this younger exile part safe. So the only thing it knows how to do is to, in, is, 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 is to you know, keep this, this younger part from getting hurt. And this is where, this is good for the short term, but on the long term, when we start to get into relationships, and um, maybe something, you know, that, that manager is not allowing you to attune to your partner in the way that your partner may have de developed their attunement and their, and their autonomy because there's still this younger scared part that's afraid. And so a big thing about therapy is not like, you know, this, it's, you know once a, like, a manager is identified, it's like getting to know the, the manager. Why? And then actually creating dialogue with the manager and actually offering a request to the manager. Is there another way that you can manage this situation for this younger part? And that's where the realization can happen for a person in therapy, where they can then begin to allow that younger part to be healed and then they can actually start to fully develop um, into a, 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 like a real adult in a way, uh, like a wise adult. You know, you could be essentially forty-seven years old, okay, which I am now. You know, and like be very adult. You know, I've guided. I was you know a mountain guide. I'd guided people on you know, all these peaks. I was very in this leadership mm -hmm. role. Yet, um, you know, there's so much of my ego. And and uh, persona and identity around that, mm. and um, and then and, and we kind of get into the ego, and the ego, in a way, is a, is a collection of all these different managers 
from all these past traumas, from all these in, in, inconsistencies and congruencies within our growth and human development that are, that, are, that are at play. So when people hear voices that are saying like, don't do that, or, or you're feeling or a voice that shames you, oftentimes that's the voice of the manager and that's the voice that the manager is using to keep that younger part from getting hurt again. And so in terms of being able to drop the ego, it's really being able to befriend the ego, to befriend all the parts that we have within us. And then we actually, we, we use and we work with the ego. We work with the fear as a way to lean into the discomfort and, to, and, and, in, and it's going into that discomfort, re-entering that trauma that we're able to actually be released, that we're able to have liberation, that we're able to have salvation. And that's like, in a way, like being born again. Wow. Yeah. How do people get in touch with you? <laughs> uh, you can find me, let's see. So I'm working on the website. So it's www.mountainwithin.com. That will be up and running uh, shortly, hopefully. I'll at least have something up there. I'll have an email where you can contact me, but you can you can um, <clears throat> reach out to me. You can find me on Instagram. Um, I have uh, you can it's Mountain Within is Mountain Within. That's yeah, my that's my handle. So you can you can reach out to me there. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, and just as a little side note and plug, you know, I, I'm about to. I have the freeze dryer trays there. We got a bunch of. Uh, freeze-dried heart. You tried some of the freeze-dried testicles, tried vitamins. Yeah, yeah. And you are coming off of what? Are you doing like a Purium cleanse for how long? Yeah, so I was introduced to, I first heard about Purium from you and, and, and Timothy. And then um, and I ran, I got, became friends with Troy Casey, who was a member, who was on your, who you're friends with. And we're not on the same team. Okay, you're on the same if team. If you want to get in the dynamics okay, of multi-level yeah. marketing. All right. <laughs> we're on yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh God! So many rabbit holes, but yeah. So, anyways, I I, I sequence. I, I I connected with. I actually crossed paths with with Troy. He was doing doing one of his man clan retreats on a on a friend's property in Sedona. I was staying on that land, and he invited me to join. I was doing all the man clan stuff. It was great, and then um, I got to know Troy, and he introduced me to Purium. He had reached out to me and actually said, that, "Yeah, there's this 30 day." Imperium calls it the ultimate lifestyle transformation. And we have like a telegram group, a hundred people. We're all doing this, this 30 day cleanse. And, uh, and so I've been doing that. I'm like on day 14 or day 15 and I feel great. And, um, meaning only consuming the apothecary, pretty much, um, power shake, power shakes, uh, aminos, aminos, the bio, the biomed. Uh -huh. Um, and then I'm doing now, so I'm in the, there's like three kind of stages, phases. Okay, phases. Cool. And the first, the first phase, you could have like a meal. And so did I would do that. Yeah, I did that. Okay. Yeah. And the second phase, no meals. And then the second phase is no meals. But if you feel a craving, you can have what they call flex foods. And, okay. And a flex food would be like, like an avocado. Or like bone marrow. Or like bone marrow. Yeah. So are you, have you had some flex foods? Yeah. Like I, yesterday, I don't think I did, but today I had some sauerkraut. And, and, a, and an avocado. And a little bone marrow bite. And a little bit bone marrow. What do you think of that? Do you want more? I do. It was really good. <laughs> and, the, and the testicles when you try it. Because I'm, I'm giving a little teaser yeah, yeah. for y'all that yeah, yeah. try vitamins as much as I do. Mm -hmm. We're about to come out with uh, some like 
holiday blends. Yeah. And it just so happens to be most bison are harvested, especially 100% grass-fed bison are harvested a lot around this time of the year before Mm -hmm. Christmas. So we're going to have probably some testicle powder and some of our blends coming up soon. Mm Mm-hmm. You try the testicles. You mentioned yeah. I guess I'm one that. of your. I was one of your guinea pigs. Yeah, including myself. And um, yeah, and uh, yeah. The, I I I felt like when I was walking around the streets of Boulder um, on the the testicles, it was like yes, I something something was happening. Like uh, I felt this energy that was coming from a very grounded and very secure place. And uh, yeah, Did you, would you say you felt it in your testicles? I felt. I, I can say that I felt it in my balls. Yes. Well, this is the whole idea yeah. of this ancestral eating. Mm-hmm. It's like, like heals like. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I'm amazed. The more of these yeah, yeah. organs I eat, yeah. I'm like, wow. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm going to go and pick up because I was going to stay off the the animal products. Yet, you know, it's like. Uh, I definitely want to go and pick up a, a bottle of the is it Tascan Organics? Oh yeah, yeah. And, we uh, have tried vitamins and, and yeah, and get the, some of that that bison liver, and and actually because I feel I'm feeling the benefits of them that marrow right now. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, I bet you are. Because I, you know, I was I'm a very much a rule follower as a, in a certain way. Um, I like to break rules, but I'm a rule follower in the way of like. Like like traditions and lineages. You broke my rule of my and my tradition and lineage of timing on a podcast. As long as podcast. <laughs> I'm sorry. As as podcast. <laughs> we'll just have to maybe do it again. You, you, have, uh, you don't have to say sorry. Yeah. Okay. Maybe that's a that's a voice. That's a yeah, that's a manager. Uh, hey, Thank you. I'm I'm actually that. that Thank so you, Daniel. Eisman. Might be one of my special. Yeah, yeah. Those managers. Mm-hmm. I, I'll deal with those managers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> at least at least acknowledge yeah. them. Let's go jump in Boulder Creek. I mean, my manager right now is <laughs> yeah. my bladder, and it's like it could be okay. all the liquids, and then, yeah. then we could go dive down that rabbit trail. Yeah, yeah. But thank you, Alok. Yeah. Um, thank you for yeah, just all of this. Holy moly. Yeah. Anything else you want to say before we? Say uh, thank you, Daniel Eisenman, for coming into my life. And uh, thank you, uh, Daniel's Breaking Normal listeners, for uh, taking time out of your precious life. And I say precious because, yeah, this precious moment is so sacred. And uh, and I, I'm thankful and much humility and gratitude for uh, for being able to be with you during this time. So thank you. Well, you know, and I'll, I'll add to my affirmation, mm-hmm. just like the bone marrow is brain medicine, I yeah. imagine this conversation is brain medicine. Just like, yeah. you know, not, not that you are what you eat. Yeah. What about what you look at, what you listen to? Yeah. Uh, I feel like listening to this conversation for me, it's mm. been brain medicine, so like this very synergistic with yes. the bone marrow and the bison liver. It's expansive. Yeah. It's yeah. curious. Yeah. It's contemplative. Mm-hmm. It's not condemning. Mm. It's not a rule. Mm. It's not a yeah. comply. Yeah, yeah. Like this is very curious yeah. stuff. Yeah. And inspiring. So thank yeah. you. Well, keep being curious, y'all. Keep breaking yeah. normal. Thank you. Peace in. Find that mountain within. Dot mm-hmm. com. <laughs> but it's not find that mountain within. Dot yeah. com. It's mountain within. Dot com. And yeah. it's tribevitamins.com. If you're not local to Colorado, yeah. you want to buy them online. Yeah. Two twenty two. I was born at two twenty two a.m. That's where we're at in the timer on the podcast. Blessings. Peace.